Cheers. Cheers. To episode 61 of Diplomacy Games. I'm Andy. I'm Kana. And, well, it's been not that long for us, but it's been a couple of weeks for you. Yep. Um, we've since, well, for us, we've just moved. Hubs. A couple of doors down, the road. Of doors down the road. <laughs> to somewhere that's um, not quite as hot. You know, I wonder sometimes we get the, um, the impression that Australia's just full of beer dens. That's pretty true, isn't it? That's pretty true. (laughs) (laughs) So we're in the Hotel Carrington, which is interesting because this venue we've actually recorded in before. It's changed hands. It's changed hands and chains totally been revamped. So it used to be... I can't remember if you should go back to the place. It was when we did the Sabotage episode. It's a, it a, um, a dingy grunge type. It was like a Beastie Boys, Beastie Boys kind bar. of thing, yeah. <laughs> and they've, um, they've opened it up, they've made it lighter. Yes. You know, added lights. Um, I think they've added an extension to the side there, and the, the, the pokies room. They just generally made it nicer. Yeah. yeah. What are you drinking, Andy? Well, the only thing that they haven't made nicer is the wine. So <laughs> this is a Saltram's Barossa Shiraz. It's a definitely a step down from the last place being a wine bar. It's pretty ordinary. It's like a cheap $9 bottle of wine, I reckon, that they just put on tap. A disappointing opening. <sighs> Very disappointing. Like a bounce in the... Um, bounce in the English Channel. <laughs> bounce in Burgundy. Bounce and, in and, Burgundy. <laughs> and a misorder. That's a misorder. <laughs> well, I have to say my drink has improved. I'm on the I'm on a Young Hendry's cider. Oh, you can't go past the Young Hendry's. It's, it's actually really nice. It's got that. Um, it's actually kind of scrumptious. There's not a lot of ciders that like scrumptious. It's scrumptious to it. Like it's you can taste the. Um, Tastes like drinking apples in a way. Oh, a bit of a whiff. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And I think, um, ooh, it smells good. Yeah, I, I think that is the that is the taste of getting free supply centres in spring in autumn, nineteen oh one. That's it. That's Germany taking, you know, Denmark, Holland, and Belgium, or Holland, Denmark, and even better yet, Sweden. Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're sad bastards. Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been going back to the wine after many episodes of drinking beer. Hey, that's been a while. Is that because the um, holidays have come to a close? No, it's because I got fat. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of worked out... Oh, I changed my... Do- I was, I was very, I'm a very disciplined person in, in some ways. Very undisciplined in other ways. But when I'm disciplined, I'm disciplined. And when I'm undisciplined, I'm undisciplined. So I moved from being disciplined on my food and drink to being increasingly undisciplined. Okay. Letting my guard down from having, instead of having you know, beer maybe one day a week, to having beer whenever. Okay. Especially when it's hot. <laughs> it helps and you get through I, life. It gets you through life, but it also kind of... Adds to your belly. Adds to your belly. Yep. And being a little bit older than you, the whole metabolism is slowing down even faster. Mm. So um, I've gone back to being a bit hardcore, staying just to the red, yeah. you know, not eating On chips course. and other On crap. Course. And <laughs> hopefully so, I can... And, and Mrs. Ambie and I have got a, a bit of a, um, a bet going on at the moment. Oh, is this part of a New Year's resolution? 
Uh, it's a, a two weeks after New Year's resolution. Okay. Where we both decided, no, nah, fuck this. So we've got a 12 week, cha- 12 week or challenge or 13 week challenge. I don't know what it is. Whoever loses the most amount of weight gets gets to um, raid the Ambi and Mrs. Ambi bank account and get 250 bucks worth of whatever they want. Huh. Put the weight on again. Yeah, go, <laughs> go buy a cheeseburger and a 12 cartons of VB, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you do, 250. Anyway, look, last episode we promised an interview. Oh, yes. Sorry, diplomacy. Fuck. Yeah. Yes, diplomacy. Good this idea. Point. Yes. Um, Eric Van Necklin. Mickelum. Necklin. Mickelum. That's right. Mickelum. Something like that. No, no. We know we Eric Van Mickelum. Um, who's in a rather active club that he's pretty much helped set up in Minnesota. Yeah, I don't think he set it up. I think he was an early adopter. Early adopter. Or jumped mm. in right. Okay. Jumped in early yeah. and at the right time. I reckon he'd be like the equivalent of like Ty in our environment. Someone who kind of came on board very, very early but didn't necessarily do the initial legwork. Enthusiastic and come to all the events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. hey, just, and not, okay, maybe a little bit, not late to the game, not, not, at the, not at the starting blocks, but really has ramped up and helped support that particular community with getting the word out. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. not only is he actively involved in that local community, but he's got his own diplomacy podcast, aptly at diplomacypodcast.com. And he writes books. And he writes books on diplomacy. Really? He's obviously got no kids. Well, you said he has kids. And he's young. He said he has kids. He's got a, has he? He said he had kids. Did he? I thought that was um, in the diplomacy briefing one that we had with Dumbledore Heat. Uh, or was it the one before that with Ira Hall? They're all saying to blur together. That's what the alcohol does to us, Kana. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Dumbledore Heat. Sorry, Eric, Eric looks quite incorrect. young. Do we need to... Uh, Go back and edit this, or you will just kind of just leave it in. Just leave it in because leave it in, you know, either way, one less bit of editing to do. <laughs> Blame it on the alcohol. I think we will. So uh, yeah, cheers to the cheers. alcohol. And um. Um, let's just throw it over to um, the interview with Eric. Okay? Yeah, let's do it. Cool. Eric Van Mecklen, um, welcome to our podcast, Diplomacy Games, and um, I'm kind of assuming you might reuse this for Diplomacy Podcast. Great to be here, and I'd love to repurpose this on, on my show as well. Awesome, awesome. Um, well, it's it's a I won't say it's a glorious Saturday morning in Australia. It's actually very, very overcast and very humid where I am. Um, probably the same for Kana, and I'm guessing it's quite the opposite where you are in Minnesota. Yeah, correct. I was just checking the weather where you are because you're in Brisbane, no? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I noticed that it was 70 degrees at 7 o'clock over there. I guess it's 8 o'clock now. But yeah, we're in the middle of a of a snowstorm now. So after this, I might put on my uh, my ski boots and go cross-country skiing. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm kind of sitting here in, in my quote-unquote studio, i.e. the office, and um, I'm just sweating. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, so you've you've kind of got your fingers in lots of different diplomacy pies at the moment but um do you want to just give us a little bit of an idea about who eric is and how you got into the game yeah i uh i I love strategy games and and playing them in general and i also have a a pretty analytic mindset to go with that kind of competitive spirit and i think that's what's 
what drew me to a lot of games growing up, whether it was the, you know, the Star Wars collectible card game or come um, high school when I first played diplomacy in a history class uh, for a project grade as a group game. Um, you know, I was drawn to to it for both the strategic, but also kind of the social and, and negotiation elements of it. And that was um, quite some time ago. I think I was 15 when I first played the game and um, 32 now, but it was probably about two years ago when I sort of came back to the game after starting a club in high school and playing a bit on the DP judge when I was first getting started. And so then there was a big break, um, but I came across a few guys here in Minnesota who were starting a, a, a meetup around diplomacy, and so it was late 2018 when I connected with them, and uh, you know, kind of helped them get the diplomacy club started, and and really starting to flourish over the past year or so here. So, so when you found that meetup, was it just you were you know did something promptly come up in your feed or anything like that, or you just happened to be looking? How did how did you discover it? Yeah, I had um, I had made the um i had made the decision to take a step back from social at that time social media but i had um plugged myself into notifications on meetup and so that was just one of the several meetups that just serendipitously popped up and i thought you know this is this is too good to pass up you know there's people actually playing diplomacy um face-to-face, which is my preferred way to play. So I had to go check it out, and I really got on with the guys. Um, Ben and Zach were really the forefront of that movement, Uh, Benjamin Johnson and Zachary Moore, and then they had recruited Jake Langenfeld from the Chicago club, who had just moved to Minnesota at that time. So there was really a a good foundation there, and uh, I enjoyed playing my first face-to-face game in over a decade and um, was re-hooked. It doesn't take much, does it? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, we've we've only just started a um, a local club, if you can kind of call it that, here in, in Brisbane, probably oh, six months ago, maybe even less. Um, so it, it's been an interesting experience trying to get it off the ground. Um, from talking to the guys that, that when obviously you have some normal dealings with them and everything like that when you're getting together to play and I don't know whether you catch up with them um, outside of, of playing, um, what what type of uh, efforts did they make to help draw and create that club and, and get people coming apart from just banging something up on Meetup? Do you know? Well, from from what I observed early on was – that they were very welcoming to to new players. Even though I mentioned I'd played before, they treated me as a new player and provided you know a tutorial for the game before playing. Um, and then also, uh, I remember in that first meetup, I think there were ten or eleven people that showed up, and so uh, they were then able to sit out of the game and play GM and make sure that as there were rules questions off the table, they could facilitate those. And so. For me, it was about creating uh, what I noticed was they were really focused on creating a good experience for those new players so they'd have a chance to to come back and play. Uh, and I think that's something that as we've now played, uh, I believe there were six six games in 2018 and then we had 18 games in 2019 um, as well as a final kind of top board game as well, which we just finished last week. Um, and so, you know, in that 
increase, I think what I noticed was just consistent communication around we're going to have one Thursday game and one Saturday game a month and a little bit of advanced notice so people can can look at their calendars and jump on. And then also having a system where we confirm that players are going to, you know, 100% be at the game. Uh, and so just having people's uh, preferred method of communication, usually text message to just uh, say, hey, are you in for the game? Like, we're looking forward to it. Um, so I think setting that culture and then also having really strong communication uh, has been key. And the one thing I'm looking forward to is actually improving the quality of play over time. So one thing that we're going to start doing is putting up a lot of our games on Backstabber and maybe doing some video commentary very, very brief um, as sort of an after action report style uh, that people can, you know, after they've played in the game, they can see what other people thought of the game. Uh, and what other players were thinking about as they were, you know, lied to or stabbed. So um, I think those three things are, are going to be critical as we continue, like making the club fun and the culture something that people want to be a part of. Excellent. That sounds really good. Um, so how many people come along to a, a regular game now? Do you get like a, obviously a full board or is it two boards running normally or? We uh, we haven't gotten to two boards at this at this point, but what usually happens is um, we have eight or nine players showing up to the game, and that allows um, we sort of have a a, a a council system. So there's four of us. There's a you know a president, VP, communications, and um, you know, kind of strategy person, and any of the four of us can then sit out a game to make sure that. Um, you know, if someone does drop out on that particular day, let's say we had eight people booked, someone can drop out and we can still have a full game of seven. Okay. Um, and well, I guess one thing I'm, I'm interested in the, how that meetup thing works because I've I haven't actually spoken to Kainer about this, but I had looked into that. But I think it was like five bucks a month or something like that to try to keep this going, and I thought. Uh, can I, can I kind of afford another five bucks after all the extra costs I already have with um, <laughs> maintaining the podcast and right, and especially all the alcohol? Um, no, actually, that's not too bad, but um, <laughs> that's, that's neither here nor there. Something I, I probably need to look at. Um, Kana, do you have any questions around some of that elements of the, the games and, and how things were organised at all? Um, no, no, it, it, it sounds really, really fun. Um, I guess... Uh, I'm just looking at, at the map and where Minnesota is in sort of relation to other places. So it's next to Wisconsin and kind of up from Chicago. Um, I know Chicago's got quite a large diplomacy sort of culture there um, uh, already. Has, has that has, has some of that migrated up? Yeah, that's, um, that's definitely been something, you know, we've definitely learned from what they've done, um, kind of taken some things that we liked and some other things we passed on. Uh, we had we actually had um, about 30 players uh, play in games this year, um, including a lot of people who'd never played before. And so the, the goal this year would be to focus on that second game, that second game retention. Um, and then in terms of in terms of standings and and scoring we so far have worked off of chicago's blueprint that you're using a 
Um, at least for the time being, I've heard that they're potentially moving to the Janus scoring system, which we can chat about because I'm actually interested in that one. Um, but we're using a sum of squares. And if you're playing three to four games across the year, you're, you know, probably qualifying. Um, you're putting yourself in contention to be in that top uh, seven by the end of the year. Um so uh, just to answer your question in reverse um, about the meetup, yeah, I think it's five or ten bucks a month, and at the moment we're you know self-funding that on our website and a few other things. Um, but I I was actually taking a look at your Patreon before I noticed that you do have an option to cover <laughs> cover uh, beers for for yourselves, and I I think that's um, you know that's that's something we're considering ourselves as well. Like how do we make this a sustainable piece where people are investing in the club, um, and so that it also brings in some ownership from, you know, the members themselves too. I, I kind of, to magic, sorry, break the, the, the fourth wall and the magic veneer, um, but I don't think you'll be able to cover your costs. And <laughs> we'd probably have to like increase tenfold um, the number of Patreons just to be able to cover our costs, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> but that being said, maybe you um, have a much better way of doing it. Maybe our, our audiences are sick to death of us banging on about it. But anyway, people aren't aware of it. <laughs> it does cost money to run these things. But hey, well, I, saw, you know I, saw your, I saw your setup before we got going. And, you know, you have a professional microphone and a setup and you're using, you know, you're using software in the background. So, yeah, it's definitely uh, and not to mention the time and effort that it takes. So, uh, you oh, know, I think. <laughs> yeah, we, we were bloody charging at a time. <laughs> but that's, but that's, that's, I, I, I mean, that's the whole point of the game, isn't it? I mean, when it comes to time and how much you put into it, it it's about the hobby. It's about, you know, trying to get more people involved and giving back to the community. So I, I don't know, has that been your motivation in that space? It's it's It has been, you know. I, I I've... You know, part of the reason I've, I've written as much as I have is I'm, one of the the underlying questions that I'm trying to answer is why do I why do I what draws me to diplomacy so much? Because there are few other games that I will I will set aside time to play. Um, so there's that underlying question, and then because of the um, and it's by the way, it's not always pure pleasure that I'm getting from diplomacy, right? That's it's definitely a struggle. I'm definitely learning things about myself. Um, yeah, yeah, and <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> and still and still, I'm I'm uh, I'm still looking to uh, expose myself more and more to that. And what what I think um, is interesting about the game of diplomacy as as a sidebar is. It's not really competing against that many other games that are like it. Um, there are certainly many other uh, <clears throat> pulls on our attention, even just within the board gaming or the gaming space. But it, it for me, it's offering something unique. And I think a lot of people haven't had a chance to play diplomacy. And so, if that if that is true, then. Um, by just creating a place like uh, our Minnesota Diplomacy Club, creating an environment where people can come and try it out is definitely uh, giving people a chance to, ex- you know, try something they haven't tried before and, you know, maybe find that joy that I found and I assume that you find when you play. Yeah. Um, when you kind of – actually, I was just going to ask a quick question, but maybe Kane wanted to jump in on something on that. Oh, I was, I was, I was going to jump in around, around that – uniqueness of the diplomacy game you know how it, it it's the majority of the actual game is spent talking with people and trying to convince people and negotiate ideas and 
it, it's a real um, it, 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 it's a real human thing that you're spending most of the time there and I can't think of any other games that really juggle it like that most games they often will put value on the speed of a turn so that everyone feels like they're doing something on the board all the time um, and I, I hear what you're saying with that um, you know that that learning and the struggle and the uniqueness of that um, Andy you were going to ask a question yeah, yeah. I was, I was just probably going back a little bit more to the face-to-face scene and around the club at Minnesota. You mentioned, Eric, that you know there's obviously a number of people I can't remember, I think you said about 30 or so people who've kind of come by in the last um, you know year or so and obviously trying to get them to return. Um, how when, when, when you've got someone who's never played the game, uh, why do they turn up? Have you been getting any feedback from them? Is it like, you know, they've it's just popped up in their feed around uh, strategy games or something and they go, oh, that's interesting and maybe they've researched it and they went, oh, let's have a look at it. Or have you got any feedback from people who've attended? And then those who are new to the game, how have you uh, approached things to try to ensure that they, you know, they're retained, they continue to come back? Yeah, so... Um, I think I'll just take those in reverse. So we'll, we'll follow up with people who have played before and say, thanks for coming and, and, uh, hope you enjoyed it. And, um, since we'll have their information, we'll usually connect with them in future games. Um, especially when we're looking for, to fill those games. Um, but also they're just in our, you know, uh, our quote unquote database of, of people that we know we can reach out to and, and invite to games. Um, but I think that's still an open question of what is, what is the best way to go about asking someone to return, uh, and make that, that commitment again to a game. Um, but in terms of where the people have come from, they've largely just come from our, uh, network of friends, you know, we think about who, you know, who, who might like this game, which is hard to predict in advance sometimes, but, um, you know, Jake has asked people around, he works at target headquarters here. So there's a, you know, a wide, um, swath of people he can, he can communicate with and, and invite to games. Um, similar from, from Ben's point of view, he asked people at work. Um, and because we're all in different friend groups, um, we were able to kind of, uh, touch a lot of different networks that way. Um, so it's definitely been a lot of uh, one-to-one invites, uh, I would say, in the first year. And I'm wondering myself, because I like to systemize things, if there's ways that we can uh, create a bit of more of a brand where we can get some inbound versus only outbound. Um, and then you asked uh, the first question. Can you remind me? Uh, I think it was just around when new players turn up who haven't had a lot of exposure to the game, how do you, or have you got any feedback for why, what motivated them to come along? And then I guess, you know, what are the, aside from obviously just walking through and giving a bit of a tutorial about how the game works and playing the thing, um, you know, what are the other approaches you might adopt to, you know, introduce the concept and get them to go, yeah, this is good and, and to come back? Mm-hmm. Um, we... I guess I don't know. Like, I'm not going to, I can't pretend uh, why people come to the games. Um, I think um, it's probably in the case of new players, something they haven't, they haven't seen before and they're, they're interested in trying it out. Um, But I think that's a good question that we can start asking people as they, as they show up. We certainly have a like wide demographic of people in, in, in terms of age. Like we've had people in their, uh, in their fifties and early sixties who have played, you know, 
um, back in the day and they found out about us and um, decided to turn up. So that's been pretty exciting too, just to get a, a wide variety of ages. And um, Jake, um, who's currently the VP of the club, is really excited to try to get an all-female game going at one point. Um, so that's something that is on our, our radar. Um, but as yet, we haven't had any female players in any of our games so far, uh, which is something I, I noticed that the Chicago club has actually done a, a pretty well in. Um, in, re- in recruiting female players, um, but you know, to 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 my point of view, I I I think that's that's well and good, and um, but I've I sort of don't look at male and female players um, in like it doesn't get me super excited to have an all female game just to say that we did that, um, <laughs> even even though um, Jake may disagree with me on that, um, but. In terms of how do we get new players to feel like they can jump into the game and not have uh, too much of a of a uh, of a disadvantage, that's been really tricky. We usually do a 15 minute tutorial. Um, I'm thinking we can send some information in advance to new, like brand brand new players who have never seen diplomacy before. So we're still thinking about how do we do that um, because what I've what I've noticed. Um, and appreciated from people who've written about diplomacy. Um, you've had Andrew Goff on the program. Um, I really appreciate his articles because he doesn't try to, what I would say, steal your destiny in terms of going through the problem solving of learning a new game. And uh, I know for myself, that's something that I, I do really enjoy. I like trying to figure out what is a strategy that could be good in whatever game it is. Um, and then in the, in the context of diplomacy, because there's so many variables, um, that's something that um, is, is interesting to balance because on one hand, I don't want to steal someone's destiny in terms of here's how you should you know open with Turkey or, or Austria or Italy. Um, but at the same time, I also want to increase the quality and level of play at the club such that um, players from Minnesota can start to do really well in tournaments um, you know, around the US and around the world. So, um, giving people uh, a little bit of a head start so that we can improve the quality of the games is also something I'm interested in doing. Have you have you run any tournaments locally in Minnesota? Uh, not yet. We're probably um, we're probably going to have one in 2021. And the reason the reason for that is I think we could, given you know the player base of of about thirty players, how many of how many of them would be able to commit to a you know a three game tournament? Not sure, but I believe that with that player base and inviting um, travelers um, who I've you know built relationships with, we could get a three board tournament, twenty one player tournament. Um, even as soon as this year, but I'd rather have a little bit more confidence and be able to put on a really good show um, and do a little bit more preparation for that. Um, and so that's what's leading me towards aiming for 2021. Um, Eric, I, um, going way back, I once held a uh, diplomacy game in Thailand um, with some other bar flies at the time. And I jumped onto um, the diplomacy pouch and and printed off a whole heap of articles around each country, and they were just brief overviews for each country, and I gave them to each player prior to actually running through the rules with them 
on the board um, as, as kind of like an information pack as a starting space for them to start thinking about, well, what is it that I'm going to be expected to do? What's the goal? What's a bit more of that strat- strategic thinking behind it as opposed to just like, oh, this is a massive rush. I don't, I'm juggling people talking to me and trying to figure out what it is I'm actually physically meant to do in, in, in that time span. Um, so great idea putting together some um, some intro packs. Going back a little bit, you mentioned Janus scoring. I, I haven't heard anything about that. What is that? So this is, um, I first heard of this um, having interacted with one of the tournament directors at Chicago's tournament this past year, Weasel Moot, his name is, um, well, Brian Pr- Brandon Fogel was uh, helping out. And they've been testing a new scoring system called Janus, J-N-U-S, which is something they developed. Um, and in short, f- to my eyes, it, it tries to optimize um, for... It tries to it tries to optimize for a few different values that one might have in terms of what makes a good diplomacy game. Um, obviously, there's a long history of of discussion and debate around what what would make a good scoring system, and of course, it's ambiguous in the actual rules itself. Um, so, what what they've done for years is use the sum of squares system, but what they noticed is that in that system and and Keep in mind, they're playing a club system, so they're playing many games over the course of a year. Most players are playing, you know, between three and five or six games, some more across that span. Um, and the first three of those games will count, and then they average the rest of the games. So, in that system, what they noticed is that once you um, come close to elimination, it's actually better to instead of working, for example, with another power who is also um, near elimination to stand up and hold off these kind of growing powers. Um, It's actually better to work with the dominating powers to eliminate as many others as possible. So um, what they were noticing is that um, they, they, what they want to experiment with is what would happen if we gave survival um, more of a value in our scoring system. And so that's what led them to to, to play around with this Janus scoring system, which gives points for kind of board topping as well as the variance between the board topper and second place um, and also additional points for survival. Um, keeping in mind their, their games are normally bar games. I think they usually run four to six hours. So they're getting, you know, to 1906 to 1909. Um, and so I've been actually quite intrigued by um, the early results of that. And I think Brandon Fogel is going to be putting out a, another article soon about it and what they've learned from testing it over the course of a few games so far. Fascinating. Um, so, so it sounds something similar to like a sum of squares, but with a survival element attached to, to that um, – you know that that, that not quite as brutal value. at the end. Yeah, not quite as brutal. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've also got another follow-up um, question, and this is going right 
right back to the start of the start of what you mentioned that you were first introduced to the game in a history class. Um, I'm always fascinated to hear about how the game of diplomacy is used in an educational setting. Um, and I, I, was, I was just interested to hear your thoughts um, what, what that experience was like because I didn't I didn't get that opportunity in school. Yeah, um, <laughs> I was just I was just chuckling to myself because I I don't remember, you know how it was <clears throat> how it was pitched in terms of what the relationship was to any you know other topic that we were discussing at the time. Um, <clears throat> Uh, so I'll have to do some thinking on that one. But I, what I do remember is um, my teacher, his name was Bill Self, Side Creek High School in Houston, Texas. And he stood up in front of the class one day and he said, OK, we're going to for the next few weeks be playing a game called Diplomacy. It's a beautiful game. It's really simple to learn. And, you know, you're going to have to think really hard and, and, you know, learn how to negotiate and and uh, he, the way he did it was he asked for volunteers to join a demo game. So I decided to join that demo game. And we, after school, one day played for a couple of hours so that now those, <clears throat> those players among us who joined the demo game would be able to help our groups once we actually started playing the game in class. And what happened was I got so interested that I immediately went out and ordered the... At that time, it was the 2000, the 2000, um, I think it's the Avalon Hill. Uh, yeah, the 2000, um, the year 2000 version of Avalon Hill's diplomacy board, which I still have today. That's the one with the metal pieces. And I think, think Ambi has that board. Um, yeah, I've got that one. Yep. And so for the next couple of weeks, I had people over at my place and we were playing just to get ready for that in-class game. Well, I reckon that must have been a, fan, a really, really fun because, it, I, in many ways, maybe he's uh, he was um, setting the stage for you know your something much later on as a, as a passion for you. I think that that's a great gift that a teacher can give. Um, on okay, so on the, um, the the Janus scoring. So I'm jumping around a little bit. Um, the Jan the Janus scoring. You mentioned that there were some articles being published. Um, around that Where, whereabouts are they being put Eric? so I, I believe that um, Brandon wanted to publish in the latest diplomacy world I don't remember if he actually managed to submit it on time um, but I do uh, I do have a message from him two days ago that says he's actually rewritten it so I imagine he'll be posting it soon but what I'll do I'll, I'll send you guys right after this um, I have a link to it on one of my pages and then um, I'm sure Brandon would be open to, or maybe even getting the actual uh, file itself from him that you guys can then post. And and what inspired you to um, sort of start your podcast? What what was the uh, impetus behind that? What what made you go? Oh yeah, I want to get my voice out there around around this. What's happening in Minnesota? I. I don't know. I, I have a pretty enthusiastic personality. So when I when when uh, when there's something that I'm working on, I usually uh, will share it. And so this seemed like a uh, an easy way to do that. 
Um, and then it was o- it was only I don't remember if I saw your guys's podcast before or after I started. Um, but but that was a lot of fun too because um, then I realized oh you know you're you're actually getting. Uh, I think the, the the podcasts that I've listened to with most interest have been with Andrew Goff, which you you got him just after winning. Um, uh, I think it was just after the 2018 um, WDC. Um, I enjoyed your podcast with Nathan Barnes, um, getting ready for the 50th um, anniversary tournament in North America, and then most recently with John uh, at Backstabber, and so. Uh, that was pretty inspiring too, and I, I I don't think I'll be able to to commit the level that that you guys do, but I think what I'm going to use the podcast for going forward is just these short clips where I recap games that we have uh, in our club since we're having two games a month, and I think that that should just be um, more than enough content to to fill the 15 or 20 minutes that I'm usually committing to a podcast. No, that that um, that's probably a, a, a good format. I mean, I, I remember when I first found your podcast, it was similar in nature. It was nice bite-sized chunks of digestible information that can kind of help you as, as a diplomacy player. Um, so it's good to know that that's the direction you, you're kind of moving in 2020. Um, you've also mentioned on, on your podcast <clears> – <throat> excuse me for a second, I've got something caught in my throat. <clears> throat> Sorry. Um, okay. Am I back? Yeah. <laughs> you can be good, sorry. <laughs> I was kind of playing around the microphone, muting it as I was kind of half choking. Um, you've kind of mentioned on your podcast before around, you know, starting to write something around diplomacy. And look, there's not much written around the game apart from obviously Richard Sharp's, um, you know, Bible um, and obviously all those wonderful um, ep- um, editions of, of um, Diplomacy World when it comes to a... Um, um, a printed or an e-zine type of document. What kind of made you think, oh, look, it'd be interesting to, to do a, a book? Is that part of that um, more um, that drive that you mentioned before is once you're kind of into something, you're just like all in? Yeah, I really like to, I really like to write um, one of that. That's my main function, you know, for, for, for work. I'm, you know, doing our communications and community management for a, uh, a gamification kind of consultancy and so but I also like to write fiction and and that's something that um, it's just a natural way for me to communicate so um, what I have noticed though and and you mentioned Richard Sharp's Bible what I have noticed in 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 writing about diplomacy that it's actually quite difficult to 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 add something um, new and useful um, I think I previously mentioned Andrew Goff's uh, writing and his article, The Italian Renaissance and Diplomacy World 139, I think is a, <clears throat> a really great model of how to write about diplomacy because it doesn't, um, it doesn't try to say, here's how you should play Italy. It, it, it asks a, a number of questions and while still having a point of view, um, for example, he talks about keeping in mind that Italy has the strategic, the most strategic influence going forward in a game, but not in the immediate term. Um, and so the way that he wrote that article was pretty inspiring to me. And so when I wrote the, the most recent version of, of, you know, I changed the book title, um, you know, every few months, I think the current version is called how to win at diplomacy. (laughs) Um, 
I, I, I tried to take um, Andrew's writing style um, and, and merge it with, with my own and try to ask a lot more questions. I still have a section with you know 28 of my favorite um, openings and another section with 77 you know common mistakes in diplomacy, uh, all of which I've made. Um, but I do do try to add something new, um, which again, e- even as um, a number of people have noticed that you know Richard Sharp's uh, book provides that foundation, but the game has moved in different directions since. Um, not to mention all of the zines that have added so much over the years. And I also learned most of what I learned from the diplomacy archive. And you mentioned the pouch as well for openings. Um, there's a wealth of information out there. So it's actually really hard to add something new. Um, but I think that's just an impulse of mine is, um, I I like to put things down in, in words to see what I think. And, um, I've actually handed out a more playful version of my first book, which I, it's called, um, Diplomacy conversations with Barbosa, and Barbosa is this fictional character um, in you know early 20th century uh, Europe who is uh, something of a of a kind of underground diplomat who is part of inventing the game of diplomacy, and so it's sort of a a conversation with a fictional uh, character about how the game of diplomacy came about and and what strategy might be good or bad. And I've handed that out to some players at our club because it's only a 60-page guide, which has been helpful to some. I think that's yeah. fantastic. Absolutely, absolutely, uh, you know, amaze. <laughs> that's um, that's 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 great. Have you have you ever have you ever tried any variants, Eric? I know um, in in the online world, often people will um, sort of gravitate. After they've played the actual um, the, the board for quite some time, towards playing variants and then maybe even developing variants, is that as an avenue to um, I know uh, uh, getting a bit more out of the game? Um, have you ever looked at any or played any? I uh, if I've played any, it's it, it might be the version that where Switzerland is passable. Uh, do you know the name of this one? I think it's called Passable Switzerland. It's kind of like that other intuitive one, Fleet Rome. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Fleet. So that, I mean, so that helps me answer the question. I've, it's, it's to me so interesting how Calhammer and, you know, whomever he was doing the playtesting with at this game, came to the the situation that the starting situation that it is you know the fleet is in Ankara for Turkey it's not in Smyrna it, you know and there's two there's two armies in a fleet for for Italy when you know may, maybe you can make the argument for for it, it would be a totally different game with with fleet Rome um, and there's a few other um, you know ideas like that but I think I guess from this perspective, I'm more of a purist. I'm interested in kind of unlocking the secrets of, of the core game even more. I think there's a lot more to discover. Um, just in this past uh, this past weekend, we had our top board, right? So we had our 30 players and the top seven um, made it to the top board. And I was playing as Austria 
um, we were using the Paris method, which you discussed um, on previous um, previous podcasts. And so I actually got to choose. Um, I got to pick my position because I had I had uh, ended up first in our season standings, um, but I decided to pick third. And I was going to pick Italy, but then Eric Silverman picked um, second, and he picked Italy right in front of me. And I had this grand plan of I was going to go with Italy and I was going to use Andrew Goff's modern borders uh, concept, wherein Italy um, takes Trieste in an Italian-Austrian alliance in 1901. Uh, the idea being that then that reduces some of the tension between Austria and Italy going forward. And um, I decided to actually choose Austria because I figured I could work with Eric Silverman and he might be open to to landing in, in, in Trieste as the Italian. Um, and we, you know, we both had decent games and I, I felt like I had winning chances in that game. But I, I, you know, that's just an example of there's, you know, outside of all of the opening theory that is already there. Um, I still have not gotten to experience all of that opening theory. And so I'm still having a lot of fun trying new things and looking at different strategic approaches uh, to the game um, versus just thinking about them and reading about them. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I haven't played as many variants. Do you, do you have a favorite country to play? Uh, for the longest time, uh, it was Germany. Um, but in the last, um, just because of, uh, having the influence, the ability to, to grow, um, you know, multiple, uh, pathways to growth, uh, multiple choices of, of, of alliances and kind of mid game options. Um, Austria has of late become really interesting to me. Also, obviously a fast growth and, you know, fast death kind of, uh, kind of situation, um, as happened in this top board game, I was like quickly eliminated after becoming a little bit of a threat um, around 1904, uh, 1905. But I've also become really interested lately in Italy because of um, because my mindset has shifted on what's possible with Italy, and so I think those those three central powers um, I'm most interested in, but. I'm I'm perfectly happy to play any country, and uh, I really don't think there's a boring um, a boring power to play. One one of the problems I find when I go into a game and you kind of draw whatever the country is, I usually kind of go in beforehand thinking, okay, if I'm going to get Germany, I'm going to do this is my opening. I'm going to do this, this, and this. This is what I've met, and and often I usually go in with not just wanting to do a, a, an ordinary run-of-the-mill opening. It's more like I want to do something really different, you know, make it a fun, interesting experience. But as soon as I kind of actually kind of start getting involved in negotiations, it's like, oh, no, actually, I've got to think about this and do that and what worry about this person. And then you end up, <laughs> I find, just going back to default gameplay. Um, I don't know if that's an experience that you've had. How have you kind of addressed that in, in trying to do something different when it comes to games? I think you and I are probably similar in that uh, we do like to be creative and explore different uh, different ways of, of playing the position uh, outside of the default. Um, I, I, I guess what still fascinates me a lot is 
Um, so just to use the same example of this modern borders and this, this most recent top war, cause it's top of mind for me is I, 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 I knew that I was going to have the chance to choose Italy, um, even though I didn't get a chance to choose Italy. And I thought really carefully about, you know, within this first 15 minutes of spring 1901 negotiations, I'm going to be in a time crunch to really uh, try to affect this. Like, not only do I want to uh, make this arrangement with with Austria, and of course, I ended up playing Austria myself, um, but I'm going to want to try to uh, influence a few other things to happen around the board. Like I want to start a fight between Russia and Turkey if I can. Um, and that way I can, um, you know, I can, I can choose one of them to, to work with after that fight starts happening. You know, I want to maybe influence uh, England to play North so that Russia has to consider, you know, making a Northern build um, and, and so I, I started thinking through like, wow, this is going to be a lot to try to do in this 15 minutes of negotiation. And like you said, if the motivations of the other players are such that, you know, that uh, that plan A is really not going to be what you can pursue, then being able to adjust and and take what you can get um, is, is a part of the game that's really fascinating to me. Like I know that when things do go my way diplomatically, something, you know, was that luck or did something go right in how I approached each of those conversations? Um, that's a part of the game that I think I really want to work on as I approach, you know, future face-to-face games and, and tournaments. And I suspect that um, a lot of the top tournament players have a really good um, concept of, of how to, you know, influence other players um, consistently, right? So that, they're putting themselves in, you know, positions to be, you know, on top boards over time. And so I think that's an element of the game from a negotiation skill and influence that um, I'm interested in learning more about myself just through experience. So you, you found you weren't able to execute your plan as, as hoped or you had to kind of pivot at different points of time? Well, in the, in the game in question, uh, we... Uh, I actually had a, a, a dream uh, scenario. Uh, so, as I mentioned, I, I got to play. Um, I chose to play Austria, knowing who Italy was, um, and we were able to set up this early game alliance where he took he took Trieste as Italy was able to build two. I ended up just taking uh, Greece and Serbia, so I built one. But in the next year, I was able to take um, Bulgaria. And so now I'm in a, a pretty good position um, with Russia and Turkey um, at odds a bit. And so I was able to work with with Russia to peg up even more and and keep Turkey in the corner. And then it was just a case of um, and I had I had full freedom in terms of what to do next, because France, um, as part of a wobbly Western triple, had begun moving into the med almost immediately. And so my ally um, in Italy it was going to be stuck for uh, quite some time um, battling France as was. And so um, my analysis of the position come uh, late 1903, early 1904 was that probably I needed to make my move against Russia right there. Um, while he was still a little bit out of position in his um, skirmish with uh, with Turkey and also seeing uh, England come over the top um, into um, kind of Norway and Barents. 
So uh, as it, as it happened, Zachary Moore was very clever and and um, beat me to the punch and and quickly wiped me out. <laughs> and he was uh, he was playing as Russia in that game. Cool, excellent. Um, Kana, I don't have too much more to explore. How about you? Uh, no, I think we've 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 covered it quite well. Um, just just quickly, do you have fifteen minute turns, or is that a fifteen minute starting? Or negotiation time, then that drops down. How? How? What's your um? What's your time per phase? Yeah, the first uh, the first year we do fifteen minute uh, negotiation, two minute writing, and then it's ten minute every season after that. After so the first quite year, fast. yeah, quite fast. Yeah, yeah, it does feel fast, uh, especially come the mid game when you know you're trying to line up. You're trying to line up that that key stab and 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 figure out how you're going to progress through the mid game. It is a little bit, it is a little bit truncated, so that's something um, I'm wondering about because that that to me like the the early mid game, mid game, even late mid game. That's the part of the game I really I think that's where diplomacy really really shines as a game, um, and it's often that yeah at that point. Are people engaged enough to to stay in there and fight and make it, you know, a seven person game at that point? Um, and do these scoring systems, which we touched on before, do they facilitate that to actually happen? Um, that's where I feel um, a lot of tournament directors have done a good job of, you know, creating a lot of space for the games to be played to their conclusion. And I think that's what probably leans me toward. Um, being excited to play in a lot more tournaments. So I'm playing to play the Chicago tournament as well as the um, WDC um, in Vermont at Carnage later this year. And I'll be in, um, in 2021, I'll be in, in Thailand for, for the WTC there as well. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, forward to it. We'll see you there. <laughs> we might have to do that, um, that funny little Austria, uh, Italy thing again. <laughs> So, Eric, just kind of wrapping things up, look, if people are roughly in the uh, Minnesota area or they're going to be maybe kind of you know, going through for business or, I don't know, traveling, who knows, uh, is there some way that they can find out about um, upcoming games and register their interest? Definitely. Uh, the, the two places are going to be straight away on meetup.com just by searching diplomacy. Um, or going to mndiplomacyclub.com and you can see where we'll be playing our Thursday and Saturday games there. Cool. Um, and obviously anyone who normally listens to our podcast but now wants to maybe listen to some of your bite-sized recaps of um, face-to-face games into the future as well as obviously everything you've done before, where should they go for that? Uh, diplomacybook.com I think will be my short-term hub for um, anything related to diplomacy, diplomacybook.com. Okay. No worries. And presumably hop on Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Google Play and things like that and search for Diplomacy Podcast and hopefully we'll find you. Yeah, and, and if they find if they find your podcast instead, more you know, uh, that's all for the good as well. <laughs> well, if any of your listeners uh, listen to you but um, aren't aware of us, then uh, yeah, we're at uh, diplomacygames dot com, uh, and of course, yeah, hop on whatever you happens to be your podcast device and search for um, diplomacy games there, and it's pretty easy to find from that point on. 
great. Right. Okay. Well, um, Eric, thank you very much for your time. It's been uh, a very interesting experience. I've kind of learnt a lot about um, how you've kind of fostered that face-to-face environment there and, and got your fingers in many different new and evolving diplomacy pies as well. So it's been really, really great. So uh, thank you very much for your time and uh, looking forward to uh, you know playing against you in Thailand <laughs> next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate it. Let's let's do it over a beer next time and uh, cheers until then. Cheers. And we're back. Cheers. Well, I would have loved to have been introduced to diplomacy as a 15-year-old in a history class. Oh, so would I. Honestly. I had the right school teacher too, but he just didn't do it. Oh, what happened? What happened there? I don't know. We just did history, but he was really good at it. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed my history classes, but yeah, didn't play diplomacy. Yeah, what a shame. But lucky, Miss, lucky Eric. Lucky Eric, because set him on, you know, this journey. And a truly wonderful journey. So yes, not only highly active in pushing the local community in Minnesota, uh, as we said before, his own podcast, which is which has just restarted the second series. Okay. Yep. Um, by the time this one comes out, he probably would have already published another three or four or five episodes because he puts them out, you know, more regularly than us. But um, he, he gave us a bit of a shout out actually in his first uh, episode back in series two. I didn't he must have just kind of recorded that just after getting off the the blower from us. Yeah. He put it online. He puts it up, so it's pretty good. So if you haven't downloaded that one, so yeah, yeah, check them out on Stitcher and. iTunes and all those places. So, Diplomacy Podcast. No, diplomacybook.com. No, oh yeah. Now, but if you search for Diplomacy Podcast, you'll find it that way. But you can go to diplomacybook.com, you're right, yeah. Yep, where you can get hold of his um, books. Yes. And his podcasts. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. Um, I was interested, you know, um, the importance he placed on culture setting, setting the culture for a vibrant community in, in diplomacy you know um, like you, you and I I know, I know you do a lot of work in getting people to the games and we do it once a month ish six weeks ish but in comparison to what seems to be ha- sounds like happening in Minnesota well, we're pretty lackadaisical I felt were they two a month two a, two a week it's a Thursday week? and a Saturday game or something oh wow how do they do that? I know. How crazy is that? Big contenders at the World Diplomacy. And looking forward to meeting them at the World Diplomacy. Yes, yes. yes. Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, although, as you say, we'll probably get there and, uh, you know, people are, you sound like... You sound like those two those drunk two Australians. <laughs> and you're from Australia. You wouldn't be... <laughs> yes. I um, I think I mentioned to you off tape that... that um, you know, I had a further conversation with Mrs. Ambie about WDC 2021, and got a yeah, bit of a yeah. bit of a blessing. Oh, you got the approval. Got the approval. And she may even kind of, you know, come along for a little bit of shopping and resort stuff elsewhere outside of Bangkok. On the beach or something. Yeah, while well, we're busy stabbing people in the back and getting stabbed. Yes, I think I think we'll probably be more likely to be stabbed than stabbing. Uh, yeah. I think. We were, we were really lucky when we went to the um, Melbourne Open that we did, I think, as well as we did. I have no 
I, I, I do not think I'm going to do as well as I did the first time around. No. no. So have you booked the tickets? I did. You did? I did, yeah. Because yeah, you said yeah, you were yeah, going to tell me and you didn't. Sorry, I didn't. Yeah, sorry, yes. So we're, we're no, flying we're, we're down? we're flying down. Tiger Air. Fuck, you did Tiger Air? Yeah. That's even fucking worse than Virgin. Why? They cancel all the time. It's like, oh, there's a little bit of light rain. We can't take off our planes. Cancel. Oh, you're kidding me. I suppose the only advantage we've got is we're flying down. When are we flying down? Is it earlier in the day? In the morning, yeah. Okay, so hopefully we might get bumped to another flight if we have to. Oh. Well, I don't, know. I don't know if I can change it now. No, you can't. Oh, oh well. Oops. Oops, so... Uh, <laughs> Maybe I should let you look after the So, uh, Andrew Goth, if, uh, we, we are kind of officially saying we're going to be there, but if we don't turn up... <laughs> yeah. We've been kind of grounded by Tiger Blame, Air. Blame Kena. Blame Kena. So a bit of a bit of well, I don't know. Mate, I've never flown Tiger, but everyone that I know who I've spoken to has flown Tiger. Tiger always get cancelled, bumped, delayed. So I'm glad at least we're maybe earlier in the day, less likely to be bumped and delayed perhaps. Uh. And we have to work out where we're going to stay. I haven't done that yet. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's my job, is it? Yes. Okay, good. Yeah. Um. Okay, so that was a tangent. Yeah, sorry about that, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was an off-tape conversation held on tape. So there we are. Take back the uh, pull back the curtain. That's that's the type of bullshit we talk about when we're not when we are when we're not recording. <laughs> have you have you had a chance to look at meetup.com? Ah, uh, a little while back because I started using meetup.com to work out where all the active communities were to put in that um, Google map that we got on the website oh, yeah, yeah. at uh, diplomacygames.com/groups. Um, but I actually probably need to go back and have a look at that because I think there's a few groups that are out there that are starting to get going. On the actual Minnesota, uh, sorry, on uh, the Diplomacy Games uh, Twitter account is yep. subscribed to and following the Minnesota Club. Yep. Okay. And they found out, I don't know fucking how, but there's a scene starting up in Sweden. A Sweden diplomacy scene? Yeah. That's cool. That's amazing. And this is similar to what I can't remember who we were talking to at the time about. Fuck, this is the problem. We're kind of getting into. This is the problem. We have our interviews too close together. Was it Humble the Heap we talked? It was Humble the Heap. That island. Yeah, around that idea of, you know, how there seems to be evolutions elsewhere in the world. Less in America, more in Europe and other places. Yeah, he was saying that Europe, in his mind, was more. being more proactive in setting up yeah. Um, back to the interview we just had. Oh yes, though. yes, sorry, correct. Um, I really, you know, I got a lot about, I got a lot of out of him talking about what it was that drew him to diplomacy in the first place. It's good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good, you know. And I think for me, I think a lot of that is, is very similar. What drew me to the game is, is a very similar kind of reason. I fell in love with it yep. as well you know there's that struggle there is that element of self-growth in there there's that um, you know that that analysis post-game during the game and pre-game that I, I think really you know like helps you understand who you are as a person in, in mm. that sense that, that, that was my takeaway on that like in that sense it's very unique you know, there's a lot of learning that you can actually take, life learning from the game, in and of itself. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Um, and look, I think it's also just amazing that he's taking the initiative to write a, a book and cover off, you know, all this. And, and it sounded like it's like almost like a, a book in evolution. It's like, you know, you can go off and you can get the book now, but it yeah. sounded like he's going to be adding to it over time. So it's like a never-ending book, maybe. I don't know. Well, I did. I did jump on and have a look at the book. At, at the time of oh, yeah. um, the recording, it was 80% complete, according to oh, Amazon. Cool. So you could buy okay. it in an incomplete version, I think. But you probably get an updated version later on. I, I would assume. Well, yeah. I, I, I think he's, he's yeah. a nice guy. I'm pretty sure if someone kind of said I kind of expected to get this and those drunk Aussies at Diplomacy Games gave me the impression that I would. But you can get the um, you can get the, the, the conversations with Barbosa, the diplomacy conversations for free. They were they were there as Yeah. Actually one of his one of his um, podcast episodes he kind of he kind of reads from a segment of that conversation with the Barbosa. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, it's a it's a good storyline. He actually writes really well. I'll have to jump on with my Kindle then. It reminds me of uh, my, my son is big into uh, like Civ Six civilization, oh, yeah. okay? Yep. And there was some type of I can't remember what it was someone someone had set up these computer bots that were playing each other in some version of the diplomacy. It might have been diplomacy five or four, where then they kind of had this game going, like one country was defeating, duking it out against the other. In a, in a computer versus computer environment, okay? okay and eventually yeah. someone won. Yeah. But before it got to that, it was just so mind-numbingly complex, the whole system crashed. Okay. But someone then did, took that and started actually writing a book, a narrative around each of the characters in this <laughs> and what was going on based on their storyline. And it was an... I kind of started reading it until I got sick of it because I've got other shit going on. But... It was very interesting at the start. It's a similar thing, you know what I mean? It's that, that fictional uh, interpretation of a game or strategy behind a game. Individual universe. Yeah. Unique to you, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's like, what do you call that? I don't know. Imagination? Yeah, imagination, that's it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I conduct... I, I have stories in my head, you know, when I'm playing Europa Universe. Me too. <laughs> you know, you know like, here come my here come my knights. I'll you know break through. You know, to, you know, here's my sea dudes, and they're going to go Viking, and you know, absolutely have those conversations in my head. Absolutely. It's funny. I, I've done exactly the same thing with exactly the same map, but yet I don't within say divided states because it just seems to be a bit more of a. I suppose it requires too much of a suspension of disbelief to imagine a real-life environment of 50 separate states duking it out. And maybe the and our American friends will probably disagree with this well, one. They're probably but, booing at us right now. Oh, Oregon's so different from New York. How can you... Well, well it is, but you know, to what extent... It, how, how, okay. I don't think Oregon is so different to New York compared to, say... Portugal to the Golden Horde. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> if you're using the exact opposites of the map. Um, and I have it exactly the same thing, Kana. And actually, in my current game with the with uh, Europa Renovatio, with a big game that I'm in, it has at some point in my time going, how would this kind of... Someone pick this storyline up and create a, an arc. Yeah, how would it go? History. An alternative history. Like? Yeah. yeah. Who are the who are the diplomats? Who are the um, the generals? 
who are the people on the ground, what weapons they were using, what uh, you know, what was their costume type at that time, the yeah. in period. You know, I, that would be fun. That that would be a fun kind of. I, um, I think it requires the assistance of someone with a creative zeal and a lot of spare time on their hands. I'm thinking university student during university student student during summer holidays. Fan fiction exists in, in many different. That's true, actually. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not that strange. You know, no, it sounds kind of weird, but it's not that strange. So, talking yeah. alternate history and all that type of stuff. So, the game is called Kill Lithuania and also Scotland. Oh, someone's got a grudge. I know they kind of created a bit of a. Bit Has of a... Lithuania and Scotland been killed? Oh, we'll soon find out. So, this is the map. Okay, so Morocco spread across to Tunis and has conquered half of Spain. Yep. Is that Naples? Naples. Naples has kind of conquered all this bit of what would be Libya, most of Italy, all of Greece, and you know the uh, eastern element of um, Turkey. Turkey. Almost like almost like a a mini uh, Eastern Roman Empire. Actually, not really, but anyway. Who's blue? Blue. Uh, Don't go too much. That's Bavaria. That's Bavaria. Bavaria has gotten control of the Holy Land in Egypt. Yeah, that's, 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 that is a that's serious impressive. that is a serious crusade happening there. So there's a great storyline to happen there. Yeah. We've got the Golden Horde over here in the usual bit in Anatolia and this area. But I want you to look at this. Holy shit. <laughs> is that Denmark? Denmark has got 128 supply centres. Holy shit. Okay. So basically Denmark obviously controls everything in Scandinavia in the north all the way out to I don't know the Ukraine and south Pretty and much then all of Lithuania, all of, Lithuania. Had, all of Poland border of um, Hungary running through Bohemia probably the northern half of Germany through to the down. low sorry the uh, uh, Netherlands and Belgium Half of France, and all of, England. Uh, all of England and Scotland, and the top of the Iberian Peninsula. Actually, the only bit of the northern coast he doesn't control is this little Aquitaine. It's this little outpost of Aquitaine, which is controlled by um, the Moroccans. The Moroccans. Everything else he has control of all the northern ports. But the thing about this, I reckon, this is probably, in my understanding the most amount of supply centres any player has ever controlled. Full stop. Full stop. Well, how many does it take to win World War Four? Not as many as this. Yeah? I don't think so. Still, that's impressive. Like, the, only, the only way you could do that is with interactive maps. Oh! Imagine doing that with drop-down. That would just... I mean, for, for those web dip listeners out there who are still doing dealing with drop downs, unless of course it's changed and we haven't been told about it from the good folk at web dip. Jeez, um, oh, guys, <laughs> you need interactive maps. It oh. makes it so easy. I used to love the drop downs. Yes, and for small scale games, you know, there's some value the, in that. Yeah. But the interactive maps, once you get you work out how it all works. It just makes so life so much easier. I've just, I've just played a couple of classic games recently, and I used the interactive map. I didn't use the drop-down. Yep. 
it's easy. Once you know what to do. Once you know what you're doing, yeah. You know what the complicating thing is? The the way that VDIP works with how you move, like, for example, a supply order, yeah. it's the exact opposite in PlayDip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course it is. <laughs> Why not? It's like VHS and Vita. <laughs> they still record and you can play your video, but it's a totally foreign like Mac and PC. It's different, different, yeah. Of course it's different. I need another drink. What the same? Oh, yeah, I think it's your shout, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, I'm going to have to because it's the only red wine that they have by the glass that I would vaguely drink. Everything else is piss weak. So it's the Shiraz, the Saltrams. So Ambi's sparkling recommendation for Shiraz. Yeah, it's my, my disappointing, actually, my abysmal opening. Yeah, your. Um, this is yeah. just so I can win the bet with <laughs> this Mrs. Ambi. Um, this is, is it the move where you open up, you realise you draw England and then you don't get any supply centres in or because Russia's gone north, Germany's bounced you out. Yes, yes, it's exactly the same. It's like, it's, it's, it's gone spring, Moscow to St. Petersburg, St. Petersburg to Norway. <laughs> Whilst, you know, you've gone for Norway, you're just totally fucked. <laughs> we are back in a sec. So what is it? Though? Oh, I think I don't know. It's a sultan for us. Cheers. And cheers. Yeah, we're back. <laughs> we are back. There's <laughs> like this pause there as we both kind of went. Is that a decent clunk or not? But it's because I think your your pint glass is so full, and mine is only half drink. full. My glass, and it's not quite as doesn't resonate the same noise as the other type of glass. And I've just ended up with a different beer than what Oh, I have you? Yeah. What do you want to now? I have no fucking idea. Seriously? Yeah. What did you say? Just give me a random. No, I wanted it kind of the same. I ended up with... Um, oh, so Kane is walking around the bar, mumbling to himself. Oh, the way he does when he sets his orders in a game. Or maybe actually when he's kind of at a face-to-face game. Worked right. out what it is? Yeah, he gave me a young Henry's pale ale. Oh. Instead of a young Henry's cider. Actually, not too bad. I don't mind the pale ale. Yeah, it's not too bad. It's not a bad drop. It's just it's not what you were expecting. expecting. Did you want to take it back and you know bang your big meaty fist on the table like you normally do when we're recording and demand a new one? No, I'm happy with it. You know how I pay out on you doing that? Yeah. I actually been listening back to it when I kind of been redoing it and chastising you for doing it, and it hardly makes any noise at all. You do something else, and I don't know what it is. It sounds like you're clicking a pen, the top of a pen all the time, sometimes. What, what, what do I be doing? I don't know. And I've heard it in another podcast, too, and I don't know what the fuck they're doing either. Maybe it's ghosts, Andy. Maybe it's ghosts of the Ghosts of the machine. Yeah, ghosts of... <laughs> <laughs> it's, the, it's the long, dead... It's the long, dead stab. Stabbers. Come back to haunt you. Come back to vanquish us. <laughs> Oh, dearie, dearie me. Hey, what were we talking about before we stopped? Jesus, you were showing me... Oh, that big map. That big map. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But let's let's move on to that. So other Europa stuff. How are you going in your Europa Renovatio games? Well, I think we spoke about this particular one a couple of episodes ago. And I, I bought this one up because I, I was pointing out... <laughs> this wine's saying it tastes better. Must be cooling in drunk. drunker. <laughs> I think it was because I was talking about like strategic uh, death. This is the you game know? that I was in, and I got killed off by a player. Yes, who has done extraordinarily well as a result. 
But can I say that or not really? No, you can, can say that. That's fine. You know, because we're not point, pinpointing any any players in particular. Yeah, this guy's killed um, off a few people, so yeah. But we did point out on the on that episode, like this this character Tlemcen. What's the name of this game, by the way? Uh, this name is called um, Silent Europe. Silent Europe. Yeah. Um, I'm not doing too bad. I'm not this particular character, but we I did talk about this this country Tlemcen's ability to kind of project his units behind Scot- Scottish lines, mm-hmm. and since then. He's, he's done a tremendous amount of damage to Scotland because he was able to sustain that strategic depth. Like when we when we highlighted it in the last like a couple of episodes ago, yep. um, it had only just begun. Now it's well and truly entrenched, and it's 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 only going to grow more. <laughs> um, given <laughs> that he's this. got multiple units behind enemy lines in multiple zones, and we un- we all know that sort of you know diplomacy strategy kind of grows like a shell yep. yeah i mean you're strong when you have a strong outer shell and that keeps growing but if something gets behind that you're in a lot of trouble well it's no different to say uh you know normal warfare isn't it you know if someone kind of outflanks you and gets behind your lines yeah you're yeah that's it yeah now obviously in a normal real life scenario there's supply line considerations and things and there's a certain suspension of disbelief when it comes to that. They're like living off the land here. But using TM Slim, Slim as, as, the, yeah, as a perfect example of... Which is, which is modern-day Algeria. They've kind of taken over Morocco. They've pretty much destroyed all of Spain and Portugal. And they've got these random units where they've now taken over Ireland. Um, they're up in the, the very... Um, the, Top of the no, not the Shetlands. The top of the um, uh, fuck, the very top of of of, um, Scotland, uh, where you've got the um, a lot of the Highlands and Islands. But on top of that, and this is what I love, got a army in a Picardy, which is notionally in the middle of a whole heap of Scottish territory, and are raiding along the English Channel. And the best bit, the best bit is they've managed to convert some of the fleets into um, armies. Yep. So he's got an army in Nantes, an army in the Maine, in the middle of France, where he can just start, particularly the Maine one, he can just raid like crazy into Orleans and Paris and just he can go, go nuts. Yeah, just cry havoc. And this is a problem I've had... If I can just digress in a moment, yeah. in the game that one of the Ren- Europa Renovatio games I'm in, where I've noticed that a similar scenario, the Africans have broken into um, France. So oh, yeah. Morocco had been duking it out with um, France proper, managed to flank behind his lines, and end up getting into Normandy, which I think was actually an English uh, SC. And it just goes to show that whole issue about sea lanes and that fucking bastard that created the sea lanes. Yeah, what a mongrel. Because you know, it, it actually does... He just got, he just got fed up with um, stalemate lines. Yeah, it gets, you know. gets it breaks the whole stalemate and it makes things so much difficult. It makes it dynamic. Or, or it makes it... Okay, you can make it... You can say it's dynamic. <laughs> or you can say it's a pain in the ass if you're trying to maintain a good defensive line, which I'm sure France was trying to do. 
and then England had to pick up the pieces as a result of that. Or, alternatively, what you're seeing before at the moment with Tim Clem, or Tim Sam, or Tim Chen, um, into um, the back end of, of um, Scotland. It's... Okay, it, it, I take yeah. that piss, Kana, but actually I do, I do like it. I think that presents a real challenge to a dominant player to make sure that they close their door. And if you don't close your door, you've only got it coming to you. The thing about this one is Scotland was on the most supply centres in the game. Yep. He, he was actually well above the amount of supply centres that anyone else had before he was flanked, yep. essentially. Um, so he would have been somewhere around about 57 supply centres or something. And now he's, um, he's, he's because of that damage, he's lost... Oh, a good 15. Easy. Yeah. And look, I must admit, on these big maps, whether you're talking about Europa Renovatio or undivided, sorry, divided states, um, probably, I don't know about um, World War Four because they haven't played that for a while, particularly with the sea lanes, but my natural inclination at the moment is the start of the game is to gobble up neutrals, Try to solidify your border as best as you can, which is very hard early on. Mm. But once you've got some momentum going and you're starting to kind of, you know, ally with people and you've taken someone down and you've taken someone else down, it's absolutely critical to A, secure your lines where you've got sea lanes if you're a coastal power. Yep. And B, outflank other bastards. Yes. And get behind their lines and just raid like crazy and try to penetrate deep into their interior where then you can start building, because these are all built anywhere, mm. building behind their lines, and just it's almost like a virus getting in behind and just destroying you from the inside. Yeah. It's a great strategy. It's like Ebola. Yeah, yeah, it's like the Ebola strategy, right. The other thing I've noticed with this particular map, and it, it just sort of really became apparent to me just in the last week or two, yep. is I really started to notice that there are clusters of supply centers. Yep. And if you're going to aim for a spot to raid or an area to protect, importance must be made to protect those areas that have those clusters. Yeah. Yeah. And there's often two, three, four, five supply centers that are sitting around in the very in the near vicinity of those spots. And then there's a few um, territories that sit in between. And then there's other regions of the map where you might have one or two supply centres that cover quite a large expanse of um, territory. Yeah. Um, so areas that, you know, that, that I would consider a cluster would be, you know, around where the Teutonic Knights kind of start. You've got Memdem, Cog, Wham, Merg, Daz, TUC, CHL, all sitting adjacent to each other, STP. Yep. Right? As, as a cluster. And then there's not much that happens kind of in, in, in Lithuania because they're kind of interdispersed until you get to sort of like the southern part of Lithuania when they start clustering up a Starting little bit. Starting to get into that Ukrainian area. Yeah. Well, what was yeah. what modern was, day you know, Ukraine? I'm, I'm just using an so old map yeah. to, to sort of point it out. Likewise, Scandinavia looks quite large, but there's not a lot of fuck all that's happening at the very top of it. The clusters exist around, yeah, around the sea lanes, know, Stockholm and yep. sea lanes, and then you know you have to go. Like Norway doesn't really have clusters. 
you know, so go figure. I mean, it's, it, I, I just find it quite interesting. Mm. You know, and, and I think definitely a lot more of these games need to be played before we can make any sort of real strategic determination as to, you know, the values, pros and cons of that. Yep. But still, an interesting observation from my point of view, because in another game where I was playing, I had to have... Basically, I'm sacrificing units to sit there doing nothing as a deterrence. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I'm aware that of the vulnerability of players being able to get in behind me to fuck shit up, essentially. I must admit, I'm in a, in a, in a Europa Renovatio game at the moment where I'm conscious of maintaining a defensive line where currently there is no real concerted attacking force. I'll say that in the sense of I've got a, um, a player who was an ally, who I considered an ally for a long period of time, yep. who ended up kind of... I'll say the word attacking in inverted commas. Uh, one of my fleets in a sea-based territory, dislodging it. Yep. With the support of someone else, who I had been attacking, but had been a bit on again, off again with, you know, I give you love, now I kind of stab yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now yeah, we're yeah, loving yeah. each other, now I stab you again. Okay, yeah. Anyway, it's similar to that where I don't really know the intentions of the players, whether they actually are working together, because they're both telling me different stories. One saying, I'm taking advantage of this guy to be able to get someone else. The other guy's like, well, you've stabbed me so many times, so I'm using this guy's insurance. And it's hard then to work out where you set your stalemate lines. Is there an element of paranoia to that, do you think? Like, I when, think when there's a strong are... element of paranoia. <laughs> you do get more paranoid as the games get on, though, don't you? Like, I find... In every game, I get to a point where I stop not really caring too much and turn into someone who really cares a lot about your territory. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got a situation at the moment in that same Europa Renovatio game where there's paranoia that's like continental paranoia. Because I've been talking to... There's one particular player, without giving out details who seems to be allied with almost everybody except for this one small corridor, a very limited expansion route. Like a tiny funnel. A funnel, yes, correct. And everybody in the region are paranoid about, is this guy, he's going to hit a brick wall sooner or later, where's he going to turn? Who's he going to get? And no one wants to trigger that. And no one wants to trigger that. Okay, I see where you're talking about because it looks like a... um yeah, I wouldn't want to trigger that little bombshell either. Yeah, let him let him go for that little insignificant bit of territory that matters to him. Because if he's doing that, he's not worrying about. But the trouble is, you have that paranoia. But like, if you're in a situation where you've got where I'm in, where I've got some allies that I'm confident that that alliance is going to continue, so I've got no vehicle to <laughs> grow that way. But then I've got this other confusing element where I can't work out what the other's going on. I, I risk getting into a situation where I'm, I'm going to stagnate for a while. Yeah. What were you laughing uncontrollably I, about? I, I'm, just, I'm just looking at this particular player, you know, 
is, is all in on such a narrow corridor. corridor that it would make perfect sense to be thinking in a paranoid way that he would be going all in on narrow corridors against other people even though it's in his no strategic sense. <laughs> and, and <laughs> I can't see where the paranoia keeps But I can also see his paranoia because like so much of his area is just like support hole, support hole, support hole, support hole. And other areas he's moving units around like it appears to be randomly to kind of make everyone else stress out. <laughs> and look, I know you're more likely to see this in bigger maps where you've yes, got more yeah, units. Yeah, you don't yeah. see this as much within a classic map, but the principles are the same. Same principles. Hey, speaking of classic maps... Oh, can I just... Before you go to classic maps, yeah. we will come back to classic maps. You know how we've talked about the Europa Renovatio um, variant and how with our ideas on how to improve it? Yeah. I have been listening lately to the history of the uh, Byzantium. Which is obviously the Eastern Roman Empire after the fall of the West. And um, one thing that really it kind of triggered my memories around this because it's very, very clear also in the um, overall history. The whole element of Constantinople, the fact that it was actually created in such a way that it's an impenetrable fortress. It didn't fall for like almost a thousand years after the Western Roman Empire fell. Yeah. Because of the... um, I was just googling before. I can't remember now. Well, the sheer inaccessibility of it. I mean, it, it's on a little peninsula inside a almost impossible strait, and it's heavily fortified. You know, like as, as a city in and of itself. It's the Aurelian like, walls. Aurelian. Yeah. Never heard of it. I'm pretty sure they're the Aurelian walls. Ah. Google, don't fail me now, especially Wikipedia. Yeah, anyway, so long story short, it basically made Constantinople all but impenetrable for so long. And I don't think that really re- is reflected within this map. And I was no, thinking... No, 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 but this map takes place the year... It starts the year before Constantinople falls. I know that. Right? And, and but literally, just, literally... Just once. But literally the Ottomans were like on to their very last brigade to be able to try to actually take Constantinople. They oh, burnt through all their units. Yeah, they had. They had it. Yeah, they had. They had, like, literally like, the, 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 uh, the, um, the Sultan's, you know, personal bodyguard and all that type of shit and the Janissaries. They were the last bit left and they threw them at it. They managed to break through the outer walls. They managed to get through all the ditches and shit, get their bombards, blow everything up, get through the inner walls, and then go in and rack, you know, rape. No, My point no, no, is, no, no, I reckon no. Constantinople should be harder to take as a neutral, where all alternatively you have it as a, uh, a standing neutral army or something like that, just to make it harder to break through that area. Yeah, but it's such a strategic focal point. And once a Western, sorry, an Eastern power grabs a hold of it, it just bullseyes us through. But that just plays to the power of owning Constantinople from just through history and there's that strategic choke point. I like it not having an army. See, I'd imagine, like, okay, you know in your Mongol map? Yeah. Did you make that map or you just brought it kind of almost online? No, I made that map. Okay. You know how you had, like, the, the walls? Yeah. Um, around the the, uh, the Great Wall of China bits of pieces where you couldn't physically get through it. 
It's actually just like a couple of episodes back where you talked about yeah, the idea of having mountain ranges. Yeah. It's yeah. the same type of concept, yeah. but actually having like a man-made mountain range, i.e. a really fucking serious wall to stop people getting through it. Like or make it wall. complicated. A great wall. Mm. These, these walls were so fucking impenetrable historically. I reckon they should be incorporated. As part of a... You've got natural mountains and there's man-made mountains which are these fucking serious walls. Yeah. What, would you put Hadrian's Wall into that? No, nah, because Hadrian's Wall is pretty weak. No, it's well yeah. actually gone. It, it's not a defensible barrier by then. Anyway. What about that one they built in Denmark? What's the wall they built in Denmark? Um, the wall, that, that dike. The dike or the wall? No, they built a wall in between, like, the Danish. They built a wall between them and Germany. Ah, um, I don't know about that. Tell me about that. You know anything about it? You're just making shit up. No, I'm not making shit up. Yes, it's an actual wall they built. Vaguely recalling earthen facts. Wall. I'm vaguely recalling facts. An earthen wall. That's yeah. not very tough. You go back and check later on the Aurelian walls or the walls of Constantinople and you realise why they kind of survived as long as they did with nothing else and left in the uh, Eastern Roman Empire. Well, I didn't realise this until recently, that the Romans and the Persians got together to build a wall in between the blacks, like in the Caucasus, in a stretch of land. Around the Armenian area? Yeah, straight across. It's a defensive barrier. Well, Second largest wall in really antiquity. Yeah. Wow, didn't know that. Followed after the Great Wall. Yeah. I'm not surprised because it's a uh, an incredibly mountainous region, and all you need is kind of some walls and certain key passes to kind of block it off. And there were long periods of time that the Romans and the Persians were duking it out, but there were other times that they kind of were best buds. They'd make a treaty and they'd stick with it for like 100 years or whatever like that. And maybe during that time they decided to keep each other honest. And they fortified this thing with like 30,000 people between them, you know. And then the Arabians come up, Islam, and boom. Oh, you know, after they, they destroyed the Persians, yeah. So the, um, the Achmedian dynasty? The Umayyad. Umayyad dynasty? Yeah, no, 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 no. The Umid were the ones that replaced the Persians. Maybe the Archimedean Persians. Or were they the ones before the other ones? <laughs> Fuck it, who knows? We're talking about shit we don't know all about. No, we don't. About. We should be uh, history professors if we knew that, but we aren't. Well, we don't, so we're not. So, you want to talk about classic map, and I digress you, my apologies. Do you want to talk about your classic game at the moment you're in? No, I was actually going to say that Oh, if anyone hasn't worked out, we're kind of in a very around the tangents around the grounds. Yeah. yeah. It's not so much a game that I'm in, but an idea for a variant. Okay. Hey, wait a sec. Last uh, two episodes back, we were talking about the fact that you were on holidays. You were a diplomacy man of leisure. By the way, you like the T-shirt. Yeah. It's a bit of a fat uh, bastard T-shirt. <laughs> I, I'm surprised. Okay. So, listeners, <laughs> I was very, very busy today with some shit I... Kind of got myself organised, literally threw on a t-shirt and a pair of shorts for this hot here. The only shirt that I had that matched the shorts were my D-Mold t-shirt. Yep. Unironed. And I kind of got into it and realised there is a lot of space in this shirt. <laughs> Even though I'm trying to lose weight, there's a lot of space. And I can't believe that you normally wear extra, extra large. Or extra large or whatever it is. XLs, you know. Just a bit of extra breathing room in the 
I appreciate the breathing. I appreciate the breathing room in this fucking hot humidity. Yes, this is this is crazy. But it doesn't look very good. I'm not. I'm not. I grew up in hot weather down in Victoria. And not, it's not Queensland weather. Queensland weather is just. It's a different type of hot. It's stupid. Humidity is just stupid. But you're happy when it comes to winter and you're not freezing your balls off. Oh, it's lovely in winter. Winter's the best time of year. Yeah. Yeah. Back to what I was talking about. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Get right. Just the, 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 the variant idea. I'm not getting half drunk at all. So the classic board, right? Yes. Take all of the take all of the sea regions and turn them into sea zones. Right. And take all the land regions and turn them into land zones as well. Yeah, you've, you've talked about this before. I was just thinking it's a good idea. So why don't you do it? You said, okay, two episodes ago when you were early in your holidays, and I know you're transitioning now to work again, again yeah. but you were saying you are going to start doing some variant stuff. I was. I don't know what happened. Did you have... I just got sidetracked. Sidetracked? Too much leisure, not enough man of diplomacy. Started a couple of games. You did? I did. How many games are in now? Four, five, maybe. I thought you were about four or five last time. Or six or more. Yeah, or a couple finished. Ah, right. Or I've been knocked out of it, put it that way. Yeah. Alright. Classic. No, no, I don't talk about it. Oh, you already talked about that. I've already talked about it. But I do actually now recall talking about it like 10 episodes ago. No, it was like 20, 25 episodes. 20 episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it was 10, 15, 20, 25, who knows. Um, but you are in a classic Fog of War game still? Yeah, the one that, the that I was in that, you that you're no longer in. Apparently killed me off in or worked out afterwards. Yeah, no, I'm still in it. You're gone from it. Turns yes. out that I killed you, apparently. Yes. Nice work, thank you, Kana. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, you always go on about me stabbing you, but I can't remember who stabbed who there. But you, well, that you started were the better with the bounce in the English Channel for some reason. You were the better man, and I concede. And there we are, handshake. Uh, yeah. Well done. I think this is going to draw soon. To be perfectly honest, I've got, um, I've got. You're starting to get boxed in, I think. Yeah, you know, I'm just going to come out and say it because this is going to be what four weeks away since. Oh, about three weeks away. Three weeks. Yeah, I think it's going to finish by then. You know, I've got Turkey just. Popping out of the grey zone into the Western Mediterranean, I'm, I've, I've literally been disadvantaged by Italy the whole fucking game. So are you going to say you are? Or not? Hey, you say you are? Yeah, I'm France. Um, and I was England. You were England. You killed me, the fucker. You and bloody Germany, assholes. Yeah. So what happened was that. Italy decided to make an attack on me, which disadvantaged me for a long while whilst I'm trying to make an attack on England, who wasn't making it in- easy, right? Who should have just rolled over and died, <laughs> but he didn't. And then Italy attacks me, so I have to deal with Italy, and then Germany attacks me, and I still haven't killed England. And then all of a sudden, Italy disappears for a whole heap of it. Oh, turns. went off the radar. Went off the radar, and I thought, oh, excellent, you know. It's not having problems from the east. Obviously, because but obviously the problems from the east were a bit just, too much for him to deal with. What's just happened is that, you know, he he, he turns up in the Gulf of Lyon last season, and there's Turkish fleets in Piedmont and Western Med. Yeah, they've just moved into Piedmont and Western Med. So wow. I think I think Italy's going to lose his unit, 
I think he's gone. I think he's a goner. So Russia's makes... already dead in this one too. Russia's dead, so it's just. So let's let's be, let's do the map. We've got three. So let, I reckon. Let's look at Turkey's position. They got three in their normal home supply centers. Let's say the fact that presumably if if Germany is as strong as it is, and I reckon Austria is well, dead. So I reckon he's... Russia is dead, which means that Turkey is probably three in in, in homeland. One, two, three. Four, five, maybe in the Balkans. Um, six, seven, eight in Naples. Add the three, eleven. Tunis, twelve. Tunis, twelve. And then we don't know how, where this line is up here. I reckon there's probably Turkey's on at least twelve, maybe thirteen or fourteen. He's gunning for everybody. He's going to solo. Yeah, and I only just realised that when having taken Norway. To be able to see, to actually see that, you know, I, I see there's a German some oh, owned St. Petersburg and Sweden, but empty. But if if Germany was actually doing really well against Turkey, he would have that protected and be pushing down against me. So you think Germany's allied with Turkey? Well, he's just started throwing love towards me, so I think he's fighting for survival, personally. Ooh! So coming up through the Balkans, through Austria. Yeah, however, he did move Munich to Tyrolia. Ah. Did it work? It worked. And it worked. So... Maybe he's stabbing Turkey. I don't know. Do I push on against Germany? Or... That confuses me. Yeah. Is Germany actually the one in... Is Germany in control? And he's just been throwing love at me because he's trying to make it seem like he's about to fall to Turkey, but in reality Mm. he's doing really well? Or is he trying to throw love at me and, you know... I don't know. It's tricky, hey? So, I'm dead in this game... Now, you know, occasionally I can be a little bit precious with my ranking and rating and all that type of shit. You must have taken a hit recently. I, went, I looked at your profile. I don't know how many games. I have had five, four or five defeats in a row. Not just, you know, survived. I'm talking eliminated. <laughs> and then I'm in that modern Europe, whatever that, that what's that new variant called in Vita? Oh, modern Europe. No, modern Europe's that normal uh, ten, play, ten player game. Sorry, which one? I don't know. One I'm always dead in again. Oh, the um, the one that's based on the Europa map. Europa that's map been... that's been kind of made into a modern context. Yeah, I'm dead in it as well. Yeah, see, I'll quickly bring it up. See what it was. Who's this again? Wolfmother. Huh? Wolfmother, yeah! Good Australian band. Is it? Yeah, Wolfmother's Australian band. No, No, this this isn't Wolfmother. This is... Take me out. What's that? Not White Stripes. Uh, Modern Pickle. Yeah, Modern Pickle. A Modern Europe is the... A Modern Europe, yeah. So, I'm down to literally... uh, Zero supplies. (laughs) <laughs> Did the turn just happen? <laughs> no, but that's spring. I've got hope. <laughs> Where? 
Well, okay, so here we are. We're, we're three weeks down the track. I'm playing Ukraine. I have no supply centres. I'm in KHR. I don't know what that is. Kharkov, maybe. Basically, the area just immediately north of the Crimean Peninsula. And I've got Russian units and DMP and ZPR, which is the closest uh, supply centre. There's a Georgian fleet in the Black Sea northeast, which could support me in to where? And the the ZPR? ZPR? Yeah. KSN is not adjacent to ZPR. No, B-L-A-N-E into ZPR. Oh, it's the only chance you've got. But chances are actually it's CRM and BLA. No, 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 no. This, these two, this one, that one, that one. Sorry, that one, that one, that one. Oh, fuck, they're not there. Maybe they'll take that one out. Anyway, long story short, I reckon I'm dead. So I'm up to now five or six games in a row I've been eliminated. My rating is down the fucking toilet. Should we have a look at the Hall of Fame? Oh, because it doesn't calculate until the game ends. Maybe we should get in now. <laughs> or maybe we should just leave me in my misery. And unfortunately with work, work's been... I've been, I've been doing a different job and I actually deliberately wound back my game. So I'm... Apart from this game I'm almost dead in, I mean my one Europa Renovatio game, mm-hmm. which is quite advanced, mid-game I'd say at the moment, the... Undivided States game, which is still going on, which is still going on, still going on. Yep. And then the only other game I'm in at the moment is over in Played It. It's, it's a um, what do you call it? What's that other fucking thing called? A Discord game that's been put on by no pun intended. Oh yeah. For uh, eighteen twelve overture. And guess what? I'm getting shafted in that too. Totally oh. fucked over. You just play the game for fun, Andy. I am. I'm trying to. I'm trying to have fun. <laughs> so in the in the eighteen twelve overture game, I'm playing uh, England, which is paired with Canada. Oh yeah. And I started conversations with good conversations with a number of players, mm-hmm. particularly America and. France. So France controls France proper and a number of like Confederation of the Rhine. So thinking about Napoleonic period of time, you know, most of half of Western Germany. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Cool. And both of them were like, yep, good, we're best mates. Now, two things happen. One, France, who is Big Joe, who used to be my ally when we were playing the tournament of time, who I trusted stabbed me and stabbed me good and what another player referred to as the advanced D-Day landings <laughs> sorry the reverse D-Day landings okay yep yep so in other words France opened into the English Channel and then invaded London so that's one of those trends in openings that I've noticed is that the opening to the English Channel more and more is becoming something that players do. Just England moves there because you can't trust France. France moves there because you can't trust England. You know, you can't trust England. You know, it's like a, it's like a, it's, it's a, it's a negative feedback loop, isn't it? It's kind of yeah. like Galicia. 
There's no reason for Russia to move to Galicia. Who gives a fuck about Galicia? Except yeah. it's just everyone just wants to There's stop no reason it, just stop for Austria faster. to move to Galicia. They just, because Austria expects Russia to move there, and Russia expects fucking Austria to move there, they've got yeah. to both fucking move there. So I had that with France, and then I came to an arrangement with, with America where... Um, so I'd moved. Oh fuck, I've got to bring up the map. Sorry about this, Kane. This is a totally different area. Bloody, bloody, blah. Anyway. Map, 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 maps. Okay, so. End of spring. Okay. Fuck. Hit the wrong button. End of spring. So I'm England. Oh, it's this map. Yeah, okay, right. Yep. Right, so this is a problem. I initially kind of bounced with, as you can see here, London bounced with North Sea in spring with uh, Norway, okay? Uh-huh. Whilst France opened the English Channel. Mm. And I thought, hmm, that doesn't look good. No, it doesn't. It just moves straight into Dublin. No, but Dublin, this is the weird thing about this map. Dublin is connected to Wales, Yorkshire and Edinburgh. Oh, is that that so the Irish Sea, sea you can just automatically just move into Dublin, okay? Okay. Now, over here in America, so that's what happened initially in spring. And I'll post links, obviously, and photos in the, uh, the show notes. Now, in uh, America, I moved, I had a coordinated bounce, which we agreed between uh, America with Boston to Maine, Halifax to Maine. And I moved Montreal to Toronto. And you didn't, you didn't specify that New York doesn't move to... Did you? Um, this is where the complications occurred. Okay. So during negotiations, which may have been later in the evening, on a work night, oh. I may have had a few glasses of red. Yeah. I was under the impression <laughs> that New York wasn't moving there, and then New York moved there, and I said, what the fuck did you just... No, I didn't say that. I said, yeah, but what did you do? I thought we had a deal going. I yeah. said, I said I was going to move there. Did you? He said yes, and I went back and looked at the notes, and he was one hundred percent correct. He said it was moving there, <laughs> but I was just—I just read into the message what I wanted to read. Scan, 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 ignore. So what he was expecting was for you to bounce him in wherever that fucking place is with Montreal. Yes. So and then later on, the next um, the turn, just for your knowledge, uh, was end of autumn. Okay. So we're only two turns in. And, and the problem getting... here was <laughs> I moved London to North Sea to bounce again, but instead Norway went to the Norwegian Sea, <laughs> leaving London totally open and English Channel just waltz on in in the reverse <laughs> the Atlantic. And I covered off Dublin from Edinburgh, but it did me no fucking good because it didn't move there. So what's that? Tactically, you've shot yourself in And the then foot. I kind of bounced in Montreal between Toronto and Halifax. And he moved out of there back into... Well, he moved like to he, Vermont. Oh, fuck, he moved to Vermont. I wasn't meant to do that. <laughs> I, don't, I, for one, don't think you're in this game for very long. No, I'm going to be dead again, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when your secondary power in these games turns out to be more powerful than your primary, I think you're in for trouble. I think I am in trouble. Talking about trouble, you shouldn't be out of a drink. I'm starting to feel a bit dry here. Uh, I'm still got a bit to go, but not much. But I'll finish up, and we will come back in a sec. And when we come back, we'll talk about 
openings. Oh, a newbie segment. Our newbie segment. Good idea, Kana. I the last shit I've worked. Cheers. Yep. Cheers. That's good. That was a good that was a good one. Mm. So the day is getting later. And I'm getting hungrier. We're getting hungrier. This doesn't help when you can smell the kitchen. Mm, that's Do we need any food? Idea. Do we need any food? Uh, Do I break the break the diet? No, no, no. Don't break your diet. You're talking about how disciplined I am. Disciplined you are. Whoa, crunchy flies, Kano. Truffle mayo, eight bucks. Want crunchy fries? Guys, we're going to come back. Hang on. <laughs> Wrong button. So whilst you were away ordering, I was paying attention to the, the big screen. Yeah. And apparently this is the Kansas City Titans, no, Kansas City Chiefs versus the Tennessee Titans playing gridiron. They yeah. all look really, really fucking cold. Like everyone in the grounds are like mittens and beanies and scarves and parkas and... I'll tell you where you'd want to be. You'd want to be in one of those mascot suits. Yeah, actually, I saw the guy kind of, you know, he's uh, thrusting his hips around, having a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that would actually, that's the best. It's quite warm. Quite warm, yeah. 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 Except he can't drink whilst he's doing his job, but. Oh, if he had a flask, like, probably could. <laughs> really wanted to. Or maybe like one of those, those backpack things when you're hiking, you know, you have you put all the alcohol in the back with the little loop going yeah, in your mouth. Yeah, like a, a camel. Um, a camel. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's yeah. it. Look at these people, they're so fucking cold. This is the irony around, isn't it, around Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere. Like, these guys in the Northern Hemisphere are freezing their asses off. Yep. And up until recently, like, just a couple of hours ago, we were just like, like you were just like, drenched in sweat. Drenched in sweat, up to about half an hour ago, really, 45 minutes ago. Why can't we just fix that whole Earth's axis tilt thing? And just keep it just normal, so it's just like, all round year, climate is... It's always the same. We'll fix the earth, eh? Why not? Because, yeah. I'm sure we've got no other problems to fix in the world. Well, Americans love their sport, don't they? They do. Well, Australians love their people. sport too, do we? Oh, uh, we do. I don't pay much attention I to it. I don't watch it. So all Australians except Kana and Ambi love their sport. <laughs> It's a golden cow. It's like you just Australians love to talk about their sport. Yes. And you're a bit strange if you don't want to talk about sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so what were we talking about? We're going to talk about oh, opening. We favorite about openings for a newbie segment. Yeah. So what country? Like, how do we want to do this? We go I country know. by country, and what's yeah, your favorite? What's my favorite? Yeah, good idea. Great idea. Yeah. yeah. Do yeah. you like that? Yes. Well, what country do you want to start with? Well, we just start from like. West to east or east to west? Left or right? Left or right? Is there a value judgment? No. Fuck. <laughs> England. Let's start with England. start with England. Okay, England. Okay, my favourite opening with England, by far, is Edinburgh to Norwegian Sea, London to North Sea, Liverpool to Edinburgh. Yep. Although recently I've been experimenting with London to English Channel, Liverpool to Edinburgh, Edinburgh to North Sea. Right. So it has a lot to do obviously when you when you're a new player and you're dealing with England, you're dealing with Russia, dealing with Germany. Who do you trust? 
Who are you going to trust? Well, there's a, there's got to be a lot of trust between you and France. It never used to, to be do Norwegian Sea and North Sea. You never used to have to trust France. It was just a given. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Ty draws France. Big Joe draws France. They just stab us like crazy. Yeah, I know. So we got to follow the Chris Martin ethos. Always open to the English Channel. Does he say that? Always open to the English Channel. If you're England or France? England and France. <laughs> okay. I think, I, I mean, definitely England, but I think it's for France as well. Which is why you opened up to English Channel as England. Yes. In that game war against each other. I may have. And you're now... <laughs> and now I'm dead. You're now dead. What's Did your... that advice help you? Um... It did at the time. I made some decisions that, in retrospect, were poor. What's your favourite opening of England? Um, I probably would tend to order London to English Channel, Edinburgh to North Sea, Liverpool to Edinburgh. Yeah. So your second opening would be usually my main opening. Main opening. Now, the question is... And it comes down a lot, again, to what extent you want to just, you know, have a bit of a fun game, or you try to trust someone. If I was like what you were saying... Sorry about that. Um, yeah, see, so look, okay, by opening up to the North Sea with Edinburgh, to the North Sea, Liverpool to Edinburgh, even if you get bounced out of the English Channel, you still have opportunity, given that, you know, you've been talking to Germany... You've been talking to Russia, right? If, if Russia opens up to St. Petersburg, you still have that chance to have that talk with Germany to get yourself convoyed into Belgium with support. Mm. Yeah. I mean, what, about, what I ideally like is either striking deals with Russia, Germany or France or a combination of the three to be able to have English Channel and North Sea so if you want to play France and Germany off each other so you can convoy that English army into Belgium. What are you thinking about that? You want your army in Belgium. Is, uh, it, is that your ideal? I don't know. I've had too many drinks to work this out. See, I'm, 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 I'm a fan of the northern opening. Well, the good thing I'm about a the fan north. of England attacking Russia. If, yeah, well, I, I agree with you because if, if you can control Norway and you can kind of quickly come up to Norwegian and Berensee and take St. Petersburg, you can just shut that off and say, OK, I own this. Russia... You and I, we've had our disagreements in the past. Let's focus on you control and organise on the south. I'll look after elsewhere. I'll support whole Berents to St. Petersburg to keep you honest. Blah, blah, blah. Let's just kind of have our initial disagreements and move on. Now, in an ideal world, what would you do to get through supply centres in England? Well, you can't. Well, you can. Oh. No, you can't. If you can. How? Thank you. Thanks, mate. Well, you can convince France to move Brest to the English Channel. Right? What? Brest to the English Channel, yes. 
London moves to North Sea, oh, Edinburgh right. to Norwegian Sea. Okay. So you, you move can... your army in Liverpool to Wales yep. and convince France to convoy Wales into Belgium. Well, North Sea goes move, into Denmark and... Well, well North Sea moves to either Holland or Denmark yep. and Edinburgh takes Norway. Do you think that'll ever work? Is, is it a doable proposition? I tell you what, next time we're playing face-to-face <laughs> and one of us draws the other, let's tease this out. Tell you what, if you draw England and I draw France, I promise you... I will support you. I will convoy you into Belgium if you give me the only. Is that meta gaming or is that okay? No, I just want to see it happen. I just, I just want to see what. I just want to see it happen. No. Well, to be fair, if you're going to do that, these are still very fucking off. Let's do the same in return. All right. But it still kind of requires whoever England's whoever England is to not piss off St. Petersburg well I suppose well you know I mean, you should be encourage Russia to the south you just need to talk with Germany, Germany. without letting you into Denmark you know, you know what would be fun is like okay but once Ty doesn't get France and gets Germany then you manage to get him to agree to that and then we fuck him over It'll be a very special set of circumstances. All right, France. No, let's just go. Just jump to the other side. Turkey. What's your favourite opening for Turkey? Favourite or normal opening? Well, I'd probably go Ankara Black Sea just to stop the Russians. Yeah. Con to Bulgaria, smear the con. But that's very boring. Mm. Now, if you want to be, depending on how you go with other players, you can always go Smyrna and Kara. Sorry, Smyrna to Armenia, Ankara to Black Sea, Con to Bulgaria. If you're an anti-Russian opening, yeah, yeah. Or you can or kind you can of do what we've done the... once before: put the the Turkish pieces in the wrong order. <laughs> and open Smyrna to the Aegean. <laughs> no. <laughs> Have you ever tried... This, this is an opening set. It, it requires coordination with Russia. But I have done this to great effect in the past. Is you, you simulate problems with Russia. Yeah? So, fake problems. Fake, fake news. Problems. Fake news. So you smear into Armenia, anchor to Constantinople, Constantinople to Bulgaria, right? Yep. But you have Russia move to the Black Sea. But this is all good because Russia is going to convoy your army from Armenia into Bulgaria or Romania because he's going for a northern attack. It's it's interesting. It's a bit of fun. Is it, is it powerful? Can it be done? Actually, it takes me back to that, that earlier interview with uh, Eric, where I think one of his earlier episodes in Diplomacy Podcast, he talked about a tournament or something he went to where the local uh, 
like all um, I suppose the, the guidance on their website was always open to Armenia. Oh, so it's it? like the exact opposite of like you know the whole always open to English Channel. And I think he was kind of initially moved to Armenia. As and like well, well that, that's what that's what you guys do, isn't it? <laughs> so um, to open to Armenia, but then to actually get the Russian to convoy you. Yep, I have done it, and it's worked. You end up. Look, yeah, you actually. I must admit, you you get people to do fucking weird shit and face to face. It's fun. I don't disagree with you. I think it's great. I, I, I take I take um, you know our friends over at the Dip Podcast when they were active. Diplomacy cast, yeah. Diplomacy cast. When they said that proposing weird and wonderful combinations can sometimes get them to happen because it can happen sometimes. But not always. Okay, Germany. What's your what's your move? What do you think? Well, I like two moves. One would be well, three moves really. Kill the Denmark. Munich to Ruhr, Berlin to Kiel, and then you bounce, obviously, Russia and Sweden, and pick up Belgium or Holland. That's the normal opening. I have had in the past times where I picked up Belgium, Holland, and Denmark, but I'm really interested in opening Munich to Cilicia. Berlin to Prussia, Kiel to um, Denmark, and then in obviously autumn, Denmark to Sweden to deprive the Russian from getting Sweden, and between Cilicia and Prussia taking Warsaw, just to cripple the Hun. Not the Hun, like a, the Russian. The Russian, yeah, like a solid anti-Russian opening. Just go full-on Russia. But you have to have a friendly friend, Sonic. Have you ever this yeah, Three? That's yours. Okay. You have to have a friendly friends. And a friendly England. Mm. They'll probably be more than happy to see you going after Russia. Well, especially if he gets Norway and then St. Petersburg. Yeah. So you got England on the winner. Yeah, but yeah. So what do you do with... All of us get England, Germany, we just gang up on Russia. So that would be a scenario where... Germany would let England into Holland no. and Belgium. Oh, potentially. That would be uh, a scenario at least, where at least England Nor- get no, no, it'd be Norway and maybe um, Belgium or Holland. So what you're talking about is a Western Triple and lies between England, France, and Germany. So on the Western Triple front, I understand where the advantages are for France and Germany. But apart from England picking up Norway and St. Petersburg, they seem to be quite limited. Or am I missing something? Yeah, it's probably why it all falls apart, usually. Like, you have to connive some sort of avenue for England to do something, hey? Alright. France. Oh, sorry, Germany. My, 99% of my time, yeah, yeah. I opened Germany, Kiel to Denmark, Munich to Ruhr, Berlin to Kiel. 99% of the time. With a DMZ in Burgundy. 
what do you do if um, Harris misses Berkeley? Because he can also DMZ. I'll just move Rua back to fucking Munich and Paris takes Burgundy or bounces there with England. That's fair. France, it's not an like France looking at Germany is fearful Germany moving to Burgundy. Right? And Germany looking at France is fearful of France moving to Burgundy, but it's not the same sort of tension like the English Channel or fucking Galicia or the other fuckers that we've been talking about all night. Don't you just love this game? How it just kind of creates these inherent disagreement points, choke points. Yeah. And it doesn't matter, we can keep going around the board. We're going to keep finding them. Well, we can go around again. We can that's, do that's, another that's set of wonderful thing about it. What about Italy? What do you do with Italy? Uh, you roll over and you die. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not your favourite. I hate it, but I have been listening, obviously, to that whole... I mean, Eric talked a lot in that episode around the natural borders, which came from Andrew Goff, which is you, you strike a deal with Austria where Vienna goes in... Sorry, Vienna. Venice goes straight into Trieste. Which then allows, if you kind of agree to that, gives Austria free reign in the Balkans and allows Italy to then turn its attention west towards France. Yeah, but it, I could, no, I just don't get that argument. Sorry, Goff, but I know you're a Le, I know you're, you're a an Austrian man. player, right? If you're Austria, why would you want to have an army in Trieste? Any army? Well, it's no different to some of your other shit with bloody, you know, France convoy. Wales into Belgium. <laughs> do you think that's more likely? Yes, I do actually. I, think, I don't. I know. I totally Australian player is going to go. Yes, yes, yes. Just no, like no, 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 like, no, no. France is never going to agree to that, and Austria is hardly likely to agree to that. Probably, I like your earlier stuff that you've done before, whether we're talking about Lepanto or Kier Lepanto. I think that's got greater prospects. It's Italy a I long do, Italy burn I do, Italy, I do one of two things. Right? The first thing I do is, well, 99% of the time I move Naples to Ionia. You know, that's, that's, that's a good Well, that's one. a no-brainer. Yep. Bang now, the next thing is I either choose between Rome moving to Naples for a convoy to Tunis. Yep. Or Venice to Tyrolia, Rome to Venice. Actually, I must admit, my favourite opening, and I've done this before, is Venice to Trieste, Rome to Venice, Naples to Ionia. Beforehand, you talk, you, you, you whisper sweet nothings into Austria's ear. <laughs> I love you, I love you, you're my best friend forever. You take Tunis, obviously in autumn. And instead of ret- staying in Trieste, which you've just kind of taken because you've convinced the Austrian to move on, yep. you then move Trieste into Bulg- um, Budapest. Budapest? Yep, or Vienna. But Budapest is much better because it gives you more options. Hmm. I've, done that, like I've done that yeah. a couple of times. Yep. And very, very quickly, Austria is out of the game. Hmm. The trouble is, you need All to Austria find out. Austria has a- to do is hold Trieste. Well, okay. That's that a problem. Yes, that. And but if it doesn't, 
you've also got the risk of the usual thing where France takes Spain, takes Portugal, reaches some accommodation with either England or Germany, and then decides to come full force against Italy. So you need to be able to kill and dismantle Austria quickly, which requires work either with the Russian or the Turk or both, so that you can then turn your attention to France and then risk the fact that both Turkey and Russia aren't going to come and start smacking back into you. So it's a bit of a messy situation. It is a messy situation. How about Austria? Austria? Okay. I will probably do one of two things again, right? If I trust Italy, if I don't think they're a Machiavellian bastard, I'd move Trieste to Albania and then on to Greece. Um, Budapest to Serbia and Vienna to Galicia. And when you're in Serbia, you support Albania to Greece? That's the idea. Vienna to Galicia to stop the Russian. Yep, and agree to a bounce. Now, this is Wolf Mother. You could do like the Austrian, this is Wolf Mother. You could do the Austrian hedgehog, you know, like move. Trieste to Venice, Vienna to fucking Galicia, Budapest to Serbia. I've done that in the past. The problem is, Italy's got no incentive to move Venice out of that area, right? You need to, you need to, you need to get Italy worked up against France. You know, yeah. And have you, have you a lot of power to Venice moving to Pisa? Okay. So, have you ever played a game as Italy where you've successfully taken down France? Yes. From, from the beginning? Yes. Really? I have. Wow. You know, I, I, and that's what I did. I moved Venice to Piedmont. I made friends with Austria. Venice to Piedmont. Naples to Ionian. Rome to Naples. Go again. Venice to Piedmont. Rome to Naples. Naples to Ionian. Convoyed into Tunis. Yeah. Right. Built a fleet in Rome. Now, because I built in Piedmont... France moved back to cover Marseille, thinking I was trying to take Marseille. And you let him in. I let him in. He lost Spain. He lost Spain. So he didn't take Spain. He didn't sp- take Spain. He prevented himself from a build, giving me a build in Rome, and I was able to move up and take it. Right? Now, obviously, you're, you're aligned in that situation on Austria being friendly with Turkey and Russia. How were your conversations with England at the time? Did you manage to kind of bring England onto that anti- Franco allies. From memory, I didn't talk to England. You know, the less he knew, the better. This is this is dangerous, kind of, because like we're talking about combinations here. Where I go in my mind, I go, hmm. So if one of us draws France, if one of us draws England, <laughs> we can just take down Ty Hill. We'll inevitably, always draw France. But the chances of us remembering this? No, this I must admit, I'm getting a bit, yeah, bit, bit pissy. Inebriated. Um What's your opening with Austria? What do you do? Um, yes. Okay, normally, it depends on how things are going with um, with Russia. If I've got confidence in Russia, I would do Trieste to Albania, Budapest to Serbia, with a view to going to taking Greece, and I would actually move Vienna through to Trieste. That I don't trust the Italian. But if I. Meh, this is complicated. This is why I hate playing. I've, I'm, ne- I'm never any good. I had zero success. No, 
but limited successes either Austria or Italy. I've always wanted to do this with Austria. Mind you, actually, look. Did I win the best Austria at Melbourne Open or best Turkey? Best Turkey. Best Turkey, yeah. I've always wanted to do this with Austria, but I've never done it. It's Trieste to Adriatic Sea, Budapest to Trieste, Vienna to Trioli. Oh, just go. Attack on Italy. Bugger you, Italy. You're fucked. (laughs) Because 99% of the time. Italy moves Rome to Naples. Actually, that works really well for the mother musical note. Yeah. Fuck you. All right, France, what do you do? Okay, just before you do that, we've already done France, haven't we? Anyway, but um, if, you did, if, you, if you did Austria attacking Italy in that way, how do you, you, you honestly, you've got to make sure that Russia and Turkey are uh, at loggerheads, don't you? You can't get those two bastards working together. Otherwise, it's going to steamroll the Balkans and then you want fucking next. Not if you run ahead of them. <laughs> right. Yeah, of course. I mean, okay. okay like, yeah, how would, you, how would you actually make that work? Yeah, you'd have to yeah, get it. So France, you'd, you'd want England to be attacking Russia for sure, yeah. and you want Russia to be in conflict with Turkey. More war, remember. Um, so France, in an ideal situation, ideal situation, you go Brest to Mao, Marseille to Spain, and Paris to Burgundy. So that come Austria, Burgundy goes into Belgium. You take Portugal, you retain Spain. Three, three bills. Does that ever happen? Not very often. I, I, I've got a different one on that one. I, I prefer Marseille to Burgundy with a pre-arranged bounce. Right. With Munich. Oh, I think that's a good idea. Yes. And then we yeah. can take Spain. And then order. Paris to Picardy oh. and Brest to Mid-Atlantic Ocean. If you can be sure that the English Channel's not going to be moved to. Yes. Well, what is the thing that happens in his channel? Yeah, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> no, but then, then Piccadilly can cover, cover breast, breast or... and you can still get Portugal and Spain. So it's two builds. So you're not entirely screwed if England opens too. Now but you have to have a friendly Germany for that to work. For, for um, listeners from way back. The interview I did with Nathan and Eric in Seattle, where we talked about why they love face-to-face and why I love online, which was a lot before playing a lot of face-to-face. Getting a bit of a break. One thing I kind of criticised them on was the fact that there's a certain formula within the face-to-face classic map, which is limiting. But increasingly, now that I start going down that rabbit hole, it's not limiting. It's not. I mean, you're second guessing, aren't you? It depends on this and that and this. But then ultimately, those become uncontrollable this, that's, and this is. I think. Like you can second guess, second guess, second guess, second guess. I think um, Calhammer just really nailed this ball. The classic board is just, the, the dynamics is yeah. just so fine-tuned. I think it's just amazingly good. I'd still like to see a fleet in the line instead. 
We can do that too. Bit of, bit of tweak. Maybe, maybe just accidentally do it. No, just kidding. Accidentally do it one time. <laughs> no. So who we got left? Yeah, you, you, um, what's your France opening? My France. I told you what my France opening was. Oh, that's right. You did too. Um, Russia is our last. Russia. Russia's one where you can choose where you want to go. Yeah, but choose your own little, adventure. Yeah, it's a choose your own adventure. You can do. Oh no! You can say, okay, the bloke with the longest beard, I'm going to attack him, or I'm going to attack the person that says "um" the first time in their conversation. I don't know. I mean, you could make your choice. So I think last time around, when I played face to face, I drew Russia. And I've been having those conversations with Beth, who was England, yeah. around the concept of I want yeah, to have a yeah. southern opening. So, as Russia, you've got a northern opening, a southern opening, or a central opening. Yeah. And very rarely does a Russian player play central opening because it means, apart from like the Galicia bouncy thing, no one ever takes on Germany. I did it once. How'd it, it go? Was by play by email. Play by email. It was play by email. It was on Dip Two Thousand. Right. Dip Two Thousand. What's Dip Two Thousand? It's it's now. It's, it's like diplomacy back in the year two thousand. Yeah. Well, it was, yeah. It was, it was it was a site that gathered people together to play email games of diplomacy, and you signed up for a one week or two week games, and, and turns would take one week. But the retreats and builds had to be sent at the same time as your regular orders. So if you knew a, a, a unit could be dislodged, you had to give a territory where you believe that an order of priority for that territory to be dislodged. So, so quick question. Yeah. So was that done in a automated uh, adjudicator? Or a judge? No, it's a human judge. Yeah. So it's actually not too dissimilar to the last episode, which was like a few hours ago, where we talked about our postal. Yeah, our time. Which is someone needs to physically adjudicate that. Yeah. That's interesting. Anyway, long story short, I ended up Russia. I ended up convincing Germany I was his friend. He was very just da da da. He let me into Sweden. For some reason, after I'd moved Warsaw to Silesia, yeah, right, he let me into Sweden because I swore to him black and blue, nine shades away from sin, that I made a mistake. I meant to say Galicia, but I wrote Silesia, and he believed me. <laughs> this is many, many emails. Yeah. And then I took a guess. Would he cover Berlin or would he cover Munich? He chose to cover Berlin and I moved to Munich. And it was a 50-50 chance and I took it. And I took it for a draw. Germany was wiped off the map. But, you know, I, I went on through the video. Yeah, look, Russia is probably... It, it, it's, a, it's a luck of the draw if you're going to do it. This, I mean, this is the problem with all of these countries, isn't it? You know, you, you've got a safe option, 
and I use this word safe with very inverted commas in the sense of you're less likely to lose something but you're not going to gain much versus you trust someone with a high risk that you're going to lose a fair amount but you've also got to gain a fair amount yeah what's the right balance and I'm increasingly going okay my 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 rational brain says go the safe option not just because it's safe but because you don't paint a target on your back from the beginning yeah you're not doing something flamboyant yeah. You're not, yeah my fun option then goes fuck that do something awesome go, go for flamboyant yeah go for flamboyant have a bit of fun which could paint a target on your back and make enemies very very quickly I know. What do you, what's your take on that? So the safe move for Russia <laughs> would be Sebastopol to Black Sea, yep. Warsaw to Ukraine, Moscow to Sebastopol, St. Petersburg to the Gulf of Bothnia. 100% you're going to get a couple of builds at least. Say that again? So Sev to Black, Warsaw to, Galicia, uh, to Ukraine. Ah, oh, yeah. Well, it comes down again to how things are going with Austria. At least you're going to get Romania. Assuming that everything's sweet with Germany, you're going to get Romania. Yep. Your risk, obviously, come autumn getting Romania but losing Black Sea. In that circumstance, would you move Seb to Romania or Ukraine to Romania? I will never move Sebastopol to Romania. But the if you bottleneck, that you, unless you. 100% going to ally with Austria. Yeah. Moving your fleet in Sebastopol to Romania is a stupid thing to do or a newbie thing to do. Right? So because if, if you put a fleet in Romania, you are disadvantaging any influence in the Balkans. I, I agree you're giving with that. that up. So you, you're saying, okay, I am mates with Austria. We're going to work together because there's no other way... But it comes down to what's going on with Turkey, doesn't it? Because like, if you don't trust Turkey, it gives you the chance to move your fleet to Romania, build a fleet in Sebastopol, regain the Black Sea, and start fucking them over. Yeah, so in which case you have to be friends with Austria. Absolutely. 100%. I agree. You know, I mean, it's an anti-Turkey move. Yeah. But putting, giving units to Austria, Austria wants to get a bit of might behind it is a very unstoppable beast. You going for this? Yeah. Okay. So I've been watching this um, American Gridiron game whilst you went to the um, Lou. Yep. Lou having a slash. I've got no idea how the fucking rules work. It doesn't make, doesn't make any sense. Well, you've got a red team and a blue team. And a blue team. They circle the blue guy. Yep. Some other guy puts his ass in the air. Yep. And there's a ball. Now, red is going that way and blue's going that way, but the ball's going that way whilst the red's going that way. But, but look, there's like these guys are and running around, smashing each other around, they throw the ball, throwing the blue some other way, guy, he gets kicked and then in he's the guts, going that way, and then and he goes, you know, woo! The ball and to someone just, else. And they run around, Obviously. they pat each other on the back, and that's it. Yeah. It's top. Yeah, tops. Tops. So is Mrs. What, what sports? Mrs. Kaner is American. She doesn't do sports. Is there any American sports she's interested in? No, no. Is there any sports she's interested in? No. That's pretty good. 
Anyway, look, I think we wrap this up because if anything we've done is confused our newbie listeners as to openings. Well, that's the takeaway from this one is that you know that there is no ideal set of openings. You got to look at risk versus reward. Yep. And look at what sort of supply centre count. You've got to think where you're going to get your supply centres, where your units are going to be situated once you've got those supply orders and what you're going to build with them. So thinking around that, it's like, well, you and I, when we spoke about that, we're looking at, are we going this way? Yes, but if only or when other countries are having these kind of conversations. So... That's that my takeaway on that. Yeah. Well, in which case, I think that we'll put a little pretty bow on that. And wrap it up. Wrap it up and say that was episode 61. Cheers. I'm Andy. I'm Peter. Thank you again, guys. Um, we, won't put, we won't push the Patreon thing for a while. We've done that for a bit. Yep, but still, um, iTunes, Stitcher. Yeah, just give us a review. Let people know about it. We'll just tell someone who plays Pass the Pharmacy the about it. And thank you again for Eric von Michelin to... Mechelen. Mechelen, that's what I said. Fuck. <laughs> Mechelen. Have another beer. <laughs> I, I will. Or cider. So, yeah. All right. Cheers, Bye-bye. guys. <laughs>